This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. Another show, three hours of the information, tools, ideas, everything you need to grow healthier, happier lives. Welcome to the program. Where else would we start? Where else to start except Donald Trump? I came in like a you know, Donald, he's not saying that Ted Cruz is not eligible to run for president. He's saying that there are people that are saying that. It's different. Yeah. He's de- he's taken that tact several times now where he doesn't directly say it himself. No. He just talks about other people. He hears them talking about right. it. Right. And it's it's a big deal because there may be lawsuits. And do you want to vote for somebody that will be con- you know fighting against lawsuits We, we had years. mentioned this before that Donald Trump hadn't brought this up. Right. No. But – all of a sudden, when he turns his target on Ted Cruz, then the first thing he's going to talk about is the man who was born in Canada. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and it's and, and he's not saying he didn't want to say anything about Bill Clinton. No, he's just responding to what the Clintons said. Duh. Yeah, it makes total sense. It seems like to me he's afraid. The cruiser is cruising. He's afraid of Ted. Ted's closing in. He's leading in Iowa. He's afraid. Donald's afraid. You think he's afraid? Oh, I think he's terrified. You can tell. He's shakier. Huh? <sighs> That's all the Donalds you're going to get today. Oh, there'll probably be more. You know, um, same vein, uh, North Korea is testing the H-bomb. Allegedly. <laughs> they have an H-bomb. Allegedly, there's some uh, reports saying that uh, the because the way they the way they tell obviously no one's in country no. uh, officially no so they get seismic readings. Last night the first report I saw was earthquake in North Korea and I'm like really wouldn't it just be how do you know like that wasn't a herd of unicorns could be because they apparently have unicorns I there. know so um, and probably more unicorns than H bombs so some people have looked at the seismic results and they're similar to previous tests. Mm. So there's no way, and and it shouldn't be the same. It should be a different seismic reading for this bomb because it's bigger. Hmm. Why wouldn't we just assume it's a an earthquake? I don't. Do we not have earth? Do they not have a fault there? There's specific areas where they test these weapons, and the earthquakes are centered in those specific areas. See, this is why I'm not in the intelligence world. Yeah. Because I would just assume, oh, they're having an earthquake. Well, I mean, my, my, I get alerts on my phone, and the first one was earthquake in North Korea. And I'm like, yeah, huh, well, and? Boy. Okay. I mean, there's... A, now a, it's a hydrogen bomb. And then the, a minute later, it was a bomb. And I'm like, oh, okay. That's why the earthquake notice from North Korea. I still think the it's the unicorn thing. Okay. That's probably unicorns. That's probably a more plausible reason well, for the Well, when you know they have a unicorn lair... Right. Duh. It's a herd of unicorns. <laughs> They're very heavy-footed. Uh, today we've got a great uh, topic. Um, when you think of concussions, right, it's it's the, the NFL, the movie Concussion came out. Everyone in my family watched it while I was at work. 
What'd they do that for? Jerks. Why didn't they include? I don't know. Include yourself. I mean, you do so I'm the much father. for them. I'm the patriarch of the family, and they take you to get a movie that I think Ugh. got about a fifty percent for most. Oh, is that all? From they got critics. Well, yeah, most people probably aren't interested in. It. I heard it was great. Yeah, but well, it depends because people wanted it to go further than it did. They really wanted it to offend the NFL. They wanted it to yeah to beat up the NFL. And as we talked about before, the fact that the commercials were airing during NFL games shows that they really mm-hmm. didn't go that far Mm-mm. to offend the NFL. Well, Frank Gifford, the, his family came out that he had brain disease. He had yeah. the, um, what's it called, C-F-C-T-E. Yeah. I didn't want, uh, I didn't want to. Yeah, try that one. Yeah. That's a, it's a, maybe our expert can, uh, He's gonna help can us today. help us say that. We've got an expert coming on that's uh, Dr. Joe Grubenhoff, who's going to be talking about the uh, soccer's uh, – Youth soccer Youth in the US. soccer's big move to no longer allow headers for youth players. Like 10 and under, I think the age group is. You can't – by the way, just let's be real. Some of those 10 and under kids have pretty big heads. You know what I mean? Children's heads are bigger proportionally than right. an adult. Yes. And so, but do you ever remember taking a header? And I remember thinking, I did it once, and I'm like, okay, that's never happening again. I, that I, was stupid. I, I was the fat kid playing goalie. So <laughs> you took a lot of gutters and a lot not, of not really. I, was, I, I wasn't really agile enough, so it was probably pretty easy to score on me because I really didn't have a fun time playing soccer. Oh, was the fat guy playing goalie? Hey, it's the fat guy. Let's We're get gonna win, score. you guys. We're so gonna kill these guys. <laughs> didn't you hate it? Like when you were up to bat, and everyone's like. We got him. We got this guy. See, but Easy then out. Later in life, I decided to play football, Yeah, and my size was a bonus. See? Yeah, so I mean... But what's amazing, and you've lost all the weight. Eh, I think I re- removed, just kind of moved it around. <laughs> Redist- redistribution no, you of the seem pretty. It seems pretty evenly distributed. So Frank Gifford had brain disease, and it's really nice that his... I mean, his family didn't have to mention it, but... He, yeah. they, they're basically promoting it because NFL has to do something. And, and a key to this is they, the researchers need to study the brains of these athletes after they die, right. if they have that, so they can study it further. Because you can only know about it yeah. kind of after there's, the there's fact. not a test really. And they go away and they, they can see the brain damage and see what what's there. Now the the problem with all this is how do you prevent concussions? It's very simple. How's that? You play the video game version. You try to keep the brain from moving. That's at all. the hard part. We're going to get into this because even if I think thirty percent of the concussions in youth soccer, which by the way, there's fifty thousand of them a year. Yeah, I mean that's a lot of kids with brain injuries, and they can last up to two years. A concussion, the impact can. So, thirty percent of them are coming from headers, but sixty, seventy percent of them are coming from just rough play. You just and two heads collide. Yeah. And they do things – there's certain uh, equipment you can get, headbands and things that are trying to yeah. resi- or, uh, disperse the impact of the ball on the head. But the problem is it's more <laughs> the brain sloshing around yeah. inside your skull rather than the impact of whatever is hitting you. I don't you, think it's so. going to be an equipment issue. It's no. got to be training, teaching these kids how to play differently. play differently. And let's just say we're not going to use our heads that way. But when you watch the pros doing it, you're thinking, I've got to – You watch the World Cup and mm-hmm. all of a sudden you want to do that too. That's right. That's why I chose radio. Very, you, very few because head. Because you can't, you can't see what people are doing? That's right. Very few <laughs> well, head injuries. Uh, so um, we'll be talking to Dr. Joe Grubenhoff in a, in a few minutes about concussions. Then you can figure out if you really still want your kids to play some of these sports. Um, you know, they love it. My kids love it. But 
I saw my son take a hit once that I couldn't believe. It was like Frank Gifford's hit back in the oh yeah fifties or whatever that was. That was one of the biggest hits ever. History. It is the hit heard around the world in 1960. Yeah, that was a big hit. It's they, like an H bomb. The Korea. NFL has stopped. Produ- I have a video at home when I got when I was a kid called NFL Crunch Course, <laughs> and it's full of just people getting blown away. Just yeah. hit as hard as you possibly can, and you're like, wow, look at that. Course. They've stopped selling those videos. Hmm. Wonder why. I wonder why. Weird. Uh, anyway, we'll be talking concussions in just a few minutes, but before we do that, let's get to the headlines. Terry, anything else going on around the world? Well, as we talked about, North Korea tested a uh, hydrogen bomb. A successful test, at least that's what they're reporting. Pyongyang's, that's the, in North Korea said Wednesday, it has successfully detonated a hydrogen bomb in a surprise announcement. South Korean weather agency reported seeing signs of a, quote, artificial earthquake in near North a North Korean uh, test site. The South Korean reports uh, suggest that North Korea had conducted its fourth atomic test, which would mark a major step in the country's ambition to build a nuclear arsenal. The U.S. Geologic Survey reported the quake's magnitude at 5.1, about five miles from the testing site where uh, previous tests were conducted in 2013. So that's how all this do, evidence is coming Do together. they not remember about the downwinders and all of the... Uh, I don't care. Okay. They, they barely feed their people, allegedly. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. That's sad. Uh, President Obama shed tears while announcing his executive action on gun control Tuesday afternoon. In his speech, he implored gun rights activists to consider the right to free exercise of religion denied the Christians of Charleston the and in South Carolina and the Jews in Kansas City. They were denied the Muslims in Chapel Hill and hmm. the Sikhs in Oak Creek and also the, the right of free association robbed from moviegoers in Aurora, Colorado and Lafayette, Louisiana. Even after San Bernardino, they've refused to make it harder for terrorist suspects who can't get on a plane to buy semi-automatic weapons. That's not right. That can't be right. So the gun lobby may be holding Congress hostage right now, but they cannot hold America hostage. They're, of course, speaking of Congress and the the inaction in his mind of what they have done for uh, restricting gun rights, but that's not really in there what they would want to do. They feel... There's some that feel that if you expand gun rights, it's going to make people safer. So the two different sides of this issue. Uh, Obama spoke of the children and their rights to liberty and pursuit of happiness that were taken away in Blacksburg, Santa Barbara, and the high schoolers in Columbine, and, of course, the first graders from Newtown. Mm. So it was an emotional press conference. I don't know what the uh, Well, and something needs to be done. And you, it almost seems like the NRA doesn't care at moments because they're like, yeah, nothing new. And then the next thing you know, they're saying, we may... We may have to regrade all of the politicians. Yeah, that was on uh, on Twitter. They were li- kind of live tweeting the press conference, and then they put out a thing saying this really changes nothing. So this is kind of useless. Yeah, not and a then, big the, deal. then another tweet said, "By the way," and it was kind of a warning to other members of Congress saying that your NRA grade that you used to run for reelection on, they're all up for uh, they're all negotiable at this moment. So uh, yeah. watch how you respond to this. Uh-huh. So some veiled threats coming from the NRA that way. Yeah. Twitter is reportedly creating a new feature that will allow users to build tweets with more than the current 140 character limit. The social media company is considering a 10,000 character limit, the same as its direct message limit, and will aim to unveil the feature by the end of 2016's first quarter. Well, who wants to receive a tweet with 10,000? I don't know. I, I, <clears throat> excuse me. I saw yesterday someone said the one feature that people like about Twitter is it's short. 
Yeah. And so instead of giving them something they've all people been asking for, which is the ability to edit a tweet after you sent it, you right now you can delete it. Yeah, you got. But why not give it. us the option to go back and actually edit something you sent well, out? How many politicians would love to just retract right. that statement? So instead, you get to write a novel. <laughs> That's what everybody wants. Is longer. Make that make hmm. that quick and. Um, also, another social media, other social media news because we do that quite a bit here. Apparently, in its latest user experiment, Facebook allegedly crashed its own app for Android users with the purpose of seeing how long it would take users to give up on using the social media site. The findings intended to help Facebook develop a contingency plan should its relationship with Android operator Google ever go sour. Were uh, they, the the findings? I said were surprising, according to. Um, a website called The Information, the company wasn't able to reach the threshold of when people would give up because people never stopped coming back. Even if, <laughs> even after the app was down for hours, they kept going back to the app, testing it to see if it still worked. Wow. And then people just gave up and went to their browser and typed in Facebook.com and logged in. And then they, so they could measure that, but they couldn't get the right numbers they wanted. Yeah, they couldn't tell if people, pe- when please people give up. stopped engaging because they just did it a different way. It's like a bunch of mice in a maze. Yeah. They just keep trying. Just keep going. They, they just keep the sniffing it out, figuring it out. Wow. Never give up, people. <laughs> Never give up on your Facebook. We are going to take a break. When we come back, we're talking concussions, and your youth will be talking about uh, the new rules for youth soccer players. Uh, I think it's 10 and under. No headers. No more headers. You can't use your head in soccer. Now, we'll still let the older people do it. Fine. Their, their brains don't matter. We'll be talking with Dr. Dro Grubenhoff about this. Um, he's the attending physician at Children's Hospital, Hospital in Aurora, Colorado. Just giving you the information you need about uh, how safe head injuries and sports. What can we be doing to make our children safer? Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, last year, on November 9th, the United States Soccer Federation announced that they will be banning headers for youth players, you know, where they hit the ball with their head. Headers will be banned for players 10 and younger, with uh, those 11 to 13 receiving other restrictions. These reformed guidelines come after several lawsuits claiming negligent treatment of head injuries. According to the class action lawsuit filed by the District Court of California, in August of last year, nearly 50,000 high school players playing soccer sustained concussions in 2010 alone. 50,000 high school kids sustained concussions. That is crazy. So with the new regulations, the United States Soccer Federation hopes that they will decrease the head injuries, uh, but will um, we'll see a decrease in head injuries. But they will also, you know, looking to use a very simple rule, no headers, and hopefully that will start to help the kids maybe play the game differently, um, perhaps promote you know a healthier play in uh, in soccer. So joining us today from Aurora, Colorado, we have Dr. Dro, uh, Joe Grubenhoff, and uh, Joe is an assistant professor of pediatrics at the University of Colorado and attending physician at Children's Hospital in Aurora, Colorado. Joe, Dr. Joe Grubenhoff, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks for having me on. 
great to have you. And to me, it's such an interesting thing. I loved soccer growing up. My kids played baseball and basketball and football. Head injuries, they just happen, you know, head-to-head contact. It happens. Do you? But I guess there's something different, though, when a 10-year-old kid is heading a, a soccer ball. Um, talk to us, doctor, about what really is the impact of of – you know, concussion, what's happening in our brains, what's happening uh, in in the 10-year-old's head? Well, so a couple of things that we know is that children tend to take a little bit longer to recover from a concussion than adults do. Um, why that is, I don't know that we've clearly worked out, but kids do tend to be symptomatic for a little bit longer. So we tend to manage them more conservatively. Um, and the other thing is that um, younger kids are – um, still developing. They're still learning new skills. And if we used to think that um, kids, because they were still developing, had a little bit more what we call plasticity, meaning they could adapt to those situations because their brain could create different pathways because they were still growing. And what we've come to find out is that um, kids actually are more likely to have long-term problems because if they damage those parts of the brain that are responsible for acquiring new skills, then they can't acquire the new skills right. they need to become a successful adult. Um, as far as what happens with a concussion, it's not a, a structural injury where the, the brain tissue itself is significantly distorted. It's more of a, a function of energy failure. Um, the, the trauma causes the brain to not be able to use sugar for energy, which is what we need to be able to think. Huh. Properly, and that's where we see the symptoms of headache and nausea and confusion and those sorts of things. So it's real. Oh, that's interesting. So it's not. I was always thinking that the brain sloshing around in the head creates, you know, a bruise. I guess that would be a stroke, basically. But it. I thought it was damaging the physiology. But really, you're saying it's more of a chemical issue. It's, it really is. It really is a chemical issue rather than an anatomic. Now, some of the newer MRI techniques that are being used in research are showing that maybe at the at the cellular level there's some structural changes, but from standard imaging techniques like MRIs and CAT scans, you wouldn't notice that there was anything wrong with the brain. Hmm. And it's and it, if I'm correct, it's not like wearing headgear will necessarily change the movement of the brain, right? Exactly. You're not going to you're not going to strap the brain down. It's still going to be free, free moving in the skull. That that's correct. Yeah, there's a there's a layer of spinal fluid that surrounds the brain to provide some cushion, but you know, it's a common misconception that helmets are protective against concussions. I mean, helmets were really designed, you know, first in the NFL and then into other sports to protect from skull fractures and facial injuries. Hmm. And they were never designed, and, and I don't think anybody will ever be able to design a helmet that keeps you from getting a concussion because the, the, the way that happens is very different than those more severe injuries. Right. And, and one of the reports I was reading was, was basically claiming that only 30% of injuries in soccer are really about heading and using your head to bounce the ball. Um, 70% roughly of the injuries, though, are more just head-to-head rough play collisions. Yeah, so what Dr. Comstock and the rest of our study team found when when we looked at this database, now, of course, we looked at high school soccer players, um, but what we found is that we wanted to know 
not just what impact was causing the concussion. Was the player hitting another player? Were they hitting the ground? Were they hitting the ball? But during what activities was that happening? And so we did find that during the activity of heading the ball is when a large percentage of the, and the majority of concussions were occurring hmm. in these high school athletes. But it wasn't, it wasn't the head to ball contact that was the primary um, activity. It was actually when one player hit another player. So oh, more uh, the head to head contact. So, but it was well, in the act of try, two people probably trying to head a ball that was up in the air, but they would then hit heads. Right. Yeah. So it wasn't, it wasn't so much the the heading itself, but the con- contested heading huh. that really created the problem. So, so that's doctor, interesting because yeah, you, you, well, Dr. Tom, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say because you can't. I mean, that's just two heads getting too close to one ball. That's soccer, right? Exactly. And so, and so, there's a question about you know, um, whether or not a, a simple rule change of no headers is going to have the in- desired impact. You know, you mentioned at the top of your segment about the 50,000 headers or, uh, you know, concussions a year in youth soccer. Well, if you're not focusing on the most common problem, which is two players colliding, then you might not see the dramatic reduction right. that you're hoping for. So is, I mean, I guess this is the same thing we see in football. It, you can wear the helmets, but the helmets might actually be changing the game. They, I think it was with people actually using their head more as a weapon. Um, right. But in soccer, it's always different. I always thought, you know, I didn't realize there were as many head injuries, but 50,000 concussions, that's that's a big, big deal, especially these kids that are playing competitively. Um, they're They're going to have, you know, four or five of these concussions in their lifetime at least, wouldn't they? You know, it's hard to say. I mean, the, the the data about how many concussions this kid sustains between youth sports and high school sports hasn't been totally nailed down yet. Um, uh, I would I would suspect. You know, I played soccer and lacrosse and in grade school and high school, and I probably had a couple of concussions here and there. Um, I think we have to think about it not just in the absolute number of players that are suffering concussions, but how many concussions are, you know, how many kids are participating in those sports. And so, you know, clearly football, you're going to have a lot more because of the way the game is played. Right. You know, if you want to talk safety, you know, compared to football, soccer is, you know, much safer from the head injury perspective. So, and one of the things we worry about is we don't want kids to stop playing altogether because we also have an obesity. Right. Yeah. We've got to keep people moving. Exactly. And so, (laughs) um, you know, making it, safe while also still keeping the kids active is an important thing that we need to consider. Oh, yeah. Do you talk to us about what happens and and like what's the protocol? We always hear about like in the NFL, there's a protocol to diagnose a concussion, make sure we got to make sure we do the right things. But if if there is a head injury um, and a concussion, what are some of the signs we would see as a parent or as a coach? And then what should the protocol be? Sure. So uh, the most common symptoms are going to be headache and nausea and or vomiting, um, confusion. Um, meaning if you're in a soccer game, you might not remember what the score is or you're disoriented. You think you're playing one team or in one location, but you're actually in a different location. Yeah, or that you're like um, a, a Jedi. 
from Star exactly. Wars. <laughs> right. Um, and uh, oftentimes there will be um, some drowsiness associated with that. Those are the things that you see immediately. Um, so if a coach notices that a player isn't running the right plays or is confused about their position on the field, um, or seems to just be moving slower than they normally do, that, that may be a sign that they need to be pulled out and evaluated. Um, our sports medicine program at Children's Hospital Colorado um, uses a, a sideline tool called the SCAT three years, um, saying it's sports concussion assessment tool, and it's basically a list of different questions and procedures to make sure the patient is not confused, is not having any symptoms typical of a concussion, is not disoriented. And if they if they score positive on that sideline assessment, they get pulled out of the game for more formal evaluation. Hmm. And then, um, if the if the symptoms continue as a parent, then do do I need to go into the doctor, or can I just chalk it up to oh, it's concussion? We'll have him sleep it off for the next week. That's a great question. You know, there's you know I, I'm a pediatric emergency physician. So from my perspective, I, my, my primary goal is to make sure there's not a more serious head injury. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you could have you a know, bleed. You could have a lot of other things. Right. Bleeding and skull fractures are the things that we're most concerned about. And so um, if those symptoms aren't dissipating really quickly within the next you know, hour or two, or if they seem to be getting significantly worse, then those kids should be seen by a physician or uh, an advanced practice provider like a nurse practitioner to make sure that they don't have symptoms that are more consistent with a more severe injury and do actually need a CAT scan to exclude that possibility. Um, The the biggest problem that we have is that the symptoms of those more severe injuries have a lot of overlap with the symptoms of a concussion. So Mm. um, sometimes it takes a little bit more detailed exam to kind of sort that out and decide if a CAT scan is warranted. And I guess, like you said earlier, a lot of this is maybe about numbers. We want to keep our children moving. Um, I have friends and, and clients that they're, they're cheerleaders. I actually have two cheerleader head injuries where they mm-hmm. fell off the top of the pyramid or whatever. <clears throat> and they, I mean, it's, it's to this day, I mean, it's been two years of impacting one of these girls' lives to the point that she's basically has to apply as having a disability uh, as she's going to college now. Right, yeah. And, you know, I, I think that those cases are, are uncommon, but they certainly do happen. I've seen them in my practice as well. Um, you know, our pendulum has swung, you know, probably from when you and I were kids. Right, where, we, yeah, we didn't care about kids back then, did we? <laughs> exactly, yeah. So it's a concussion, brush it off, get back yeah. in there. Now to the, you know, I think we've swung maybe a little bit too far the other direction where we're being a little bit too conservative and too alarmist in as much as, especially with kids, um, a lot of uh, providers will now restrict their activities so much that they're not able to go out and socialize and be around their friends and and even do very light aerobic activity. And, And that can have some negative consequences as well. Um, you know, our, our concussion program promotes what's called active rehabilitation. So doing some light exercise after a couple of days of moderate rest um, and then getting back to school and, and at least getting back to the sideline and, and things like that because the, the lack of being around friends and doing your routine activities can lead to symptoms of depression and 
frustration and anxiety mm. that are also symptoms of concussion. So, you know, we, we're, we're still learning, but I think we need to certainly protect our kids, um, but also recognize that you could just as easily slip on the ice when you walk out your front door and get a concussion. So it's, yeah. it's not that we can prevent every single one. We just have to make some common sense changes to how we let our kids participate in sports so that they're less at risk. Yeah, and, 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 and continue to be informed, it sounds like. Uh, let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Joe Grubenhoff. And uh, Joe is from Aurora, Colorado. He's joining us. He's the assistant professor of pediatrics at the University of Colorado. He's also a board-certified general pediatrics and pediatric emergency medicine physician uh, with expertise in acute care of children with severe um, traumatic brain injuries. Interesting, uh, Interesting insight we're receiving from the good doctor. We'll take a break, come back, continue this discussion of concussions and your children Remember, I mean, obesity is maybe even a bigger threat um, than concussion. So we'll we'll continue the discussion. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us, Dr. Joe Grubenhoff. Uh, Dr. Joe Grubenhoff is Assistant Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Colorado. He also was uh, uh, played a part in a study about soccer players and youth soccer players from around the country and the impact that, um, that heading a football or a soccer ball has on, on concussions and the numbers are are staggering. Fifty thousand high school soccer players sustained concussions, and uh, last year in November, the U.S. Soccer Federation banned headers. And you just think that the problem is when a ball hits the head of a child, that's going to be problematic, which it probably could be. But the majority of the time, what the issue was, though, two kids jumping to get a header, and their heads collide and create even more trauma. Uh, a bigger trauma than maybe even just the head or your head hitting the ball. So Dr. Joe's here to help us walk through what really do we need to worry about as parents? What should we do if our child um, actually sustains a head injury and, and and how we handle that? Dr. Joe Grubenhoff, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Great to have you. And I love, too, that, I mean, we, you're you're trying to help us maintain balance here. You know, years ago— we didn't care. We cared. We always cared, but we weren't as informed about what the impact of a concussion may have been. But today, it also seems like maybe many parents are even they're ready to pull their kids out of sports altogether. Um, what what's your stand on that? Is is it so dangerous for our children that we need to remove them from sports? No, I think I think that's probably the wrong thing to do. There's there's so many benefits for our kids in athletic participation and it extends beyond the physical activity. I mean, that's, that's super important and creating kids who have a, a love of, of activity lifelong so that when they're my age and starting in their forties or even in their sixties, they're still getting out and riding bikes and taking walks. That's, we want to, we want to encourage that. And the best time to do that is when our kids are young. Um, 
so, um, you know, I, I have two kids, um, both of them are in martial arts and one of them uh, rides BMX bikes. And Mm. so, you know, they're both at risk for some head injuries, but I also see that they are meeting new people, learning new things and, and having an experience that they wouldn't have otherwise. And, and that socialization part of things, you know, getting to play with other kids and learn how to work as a team or learn how to set goals and challenge themselves is a really important part of athletics that I don't think we want to take our kids away from. And, and I guess it's not that big of a threat overall. Individually, there might be situations, but we, we probably ought not panic yet. Right, exactly. And and uh, I think there's, you know, uh, what we're seeing in the in the world of football is that we're starting to think a little bit more carefully about how are we going to teach these kids to tackle properly and and not lead with their heads and do the spearing. And, and, you know, some of that is kind of filtering down from the NFL, but some of it is parents and coaches working together and say, well, we can teach these skills better. So let's do it when they're young and teach them right the first time. Um, so I the, think that's, that's, that's an important thing. The technique helps. I mean, and it seems like I, I just thought the way you solve the spearing and the leading with your head in the NFL is you make everyone – play without a helmet for a year Uh and it's a lot of them would just stop that it seems like but there's still going to be the incidentals right there's just going to be the weird collision where two heads collide Mm -hmm. exactly and so so most of the time you know and and the research that i've done not just with dr comstock and her group on the soccer heading paper but in other stuff that we've looked at the vast majority of kids are, are better in a week or two and can get back to their sports and, and go on to have perfectly successful lives and careers and what have you. Um, and I think it's important for us to, you know, remember that when we think about some of the alarmist um, comments that come from certain camps about, oh, no kids should play sports because contact sports are dangerous mm-hmm. and they're all you know, going to have mushy brains and, <laughs> and and not have successful lives. And I don't think that's true. Um, we are definitely paying more attention to it, and we recognize that there are some dangers that we didn't recognize in the past, but that shouldn't make us take our kids out of sports altogether. Is there a threshold where, you know, if our child is 14 and they've already suffered three head injuries, is there a point where we say, okay, we, we, we need to stop? Like we, I remember Steve Young kept getting head injuries as you know cuz he'd break away and run and get hit by somebody but he eventually they tried everything I don't know if you remember that whole thing they they put a padded helmet over his helmet I mean it was he looked yeah. like he looked like a caricature or a cartoon figure but um in the end he just you have to quit playing at what point how many how many concussions is just no longer tolerable well Matt, that's a hard question to answer because the other thing we've learned is that every person is a little bit different in the way they respond. There are some kids, I think you mentioned a, a friend of yours whose daughter hurt yeah. her head in cheerleading, and two years later she's still symptomatic from that one injury. And, you know, that's a kid who probably shouldn't be cheerleading anymore. But there's other kids, you know, maybe they have a concussion every season in their sport of choice, but they're not having any lasting effects. And so that conversation about when do you retire a, an athlete from their sport should be had with somebody who who's a specialist hmm. in in sports medicine who can really help guide a parent and a child through that decision making 
Um, so I don't think I can put a number on it. But if I had a kid who every time they each each subsequent time that they hit their head, their symptoms lasted a little bit longer, they struggled a little bit more in school, that's really the time to start thinking, hmm, maybe we need to switch into something that's a lot lower risk. Mm-hmm. Do, do, you, do you notice, I mean, I guess that's the key, huh? It's we need specialists. So this is why if if, if our child has the headache, the nausea, the vomiting, confusion, if they seem to have the symptoms of concussion, we probably ought to take them in, talk to the doctor, and then... You know, if it keeps happening, get a specialist that can guide us on these decisions. Yeah, and uh, that's really important, you know, and again, speaking, you know, in my background as a general pediatrician, as well as a concussion researcher, general pediatricians and family medicine docs get very little training on the on the complicated concussions, those those concussions that don't resolve quickly and don't follow the typical recovery pattern. And so, if you have a kid who's got symptoms that are lasting more than a couple of weeks or they've had, you know, a couple or three concussions in a single season, then then there should be a, a specialist involved to make sure that there's not some other thing that's contributing to those problems and to have that discussion about maybe we need it's time to start thinking about a safer activity. Yeah. The legislation uh, or the change with the, the soccer, um, you know, federation it was really just for 10-year-olds, I guess. I mean, and some 11- and 13-year-olds will have other restrictions. Is But if the majority of the problems, like 50,000 or so, are happening in um, in high school, why, are, why do you sense they're not making some changes to the high school rules? I, I think there's I think there's a little more at stake. Um, you know, there's, there's kids who are looking for scholarships in college. Um, and kids who spend a lot of money being in the competitive sports arena, that there's there's more politics surrounding that group of kids. There's also probably um, a, a sense that while they're a little bit bigger, they're a little bit tougher. They can tolerate these a little bit better. Um, so it's a you know there's a lot more politics involved in that group than there are in the younger kids. Hmm. Um, so. Um, but I know across the country now all 50 states have youth concussion laws on the books. And um, for sure, most of those states, um, the, the high school athletes are covered. Some states vary in, as to whether or not they cover kids prior to high school. And I, so I think there's an attempt on the legislative side, you know, at the state level to try and get on top of this problem a little bit better as well. Yeah. Did, did you see, did, did you see the movie concussion? I, I am on vacation this week. And so that is on my list. That's your goal. Yeah. Your bucket list. I yeah. haven't seen it yet. Oh, I'd love to hear what you think about that because um, it's, it's interesting. Like Frank Gifford's family came out this year or this week um, talking about the fact that, he he. Uh, after his death, they evaluated his brain. He does have chronic traumatic encephalopathy, mm-hmm. and is. Um, I mean, I, to, what is that? What is a emergency room physician expert in concussion? This is a good thing, right? That our NFL athletes are now discovering this, and they're they're coming clean on it. I, I guess that's helping us. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's good that it's bringing more awareness to the situation. Um, you know, we still in in the pediatric arena see parents um, who are angry with us as as physicians 
saying, oh, it's just a concussion. It's not a big deal. You're not going to tell me to keep my kids out of sports. Right. And so there's there's still a segment of the population that thinks that these are not big deals. Um, and so I think that kind of level of awareness is important to say, wait a minute, we need to stop and think about what are the long-term implications for my child? Not are they going to get a college scholarship, but are they going to be suffering from dementia at the age of 45? Right. Um, now, that being said, I, you know, there's still a fair amount of controversy in the research world about the implications of um, the, the chronic traumatic encephalopathy that's been found on um, uh, dissection of brains from, you know, deceased NFL players and whether or not their symptoms can be directly linked to that. Um, there haven't been the big epidemiologic studies to really prove that there's an association, but there's certainly enough evidence, as the movie Concussion points out, that we need, at least need to study this better and have a better understanding of, you know, what's happening with these high-level athletes long-term. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I guess in the end, um, we want to keep our kid, our kids moving. If our kids, most of them won't be going pro, and most of them are probably more afraid of colliding. And I mean, I have kids that they're not the ones that are going to go bang heads against each other. <laughs> they're like, that's just stupid. Why are they doing that? Yeah. Um so so overall, Joe, what would you say just f- for the average parent, average family out there, I guess, watch for the signs, bring your children in. Any other advice to make sure we're taking the best care of our children and their brains? Yeah, I, I, I would really focus on the fact that activity is good and that any active um, – you know, whether it's sports participation or if you're just a recreational cyclist, has a risk of getting an injury. And we need to balance the benefits from that activity against the risks of potential injury and make sure that we're not overly restrictive with our kids so that they can experience all of the fun things that life has to offer. Yeah. Um, and, and just, you know, be... Uh, be conscientious of the fact that there's risks with any any type of activity and not not freak out about every single little <laughs> bump to the head. Yeah, I mean, most, it, they got to grow up. Just fine. Right, yeah, exactly. And, and most kids will do just fine. Um, I, my, I've seen my son fall off his bike quite a few times, and somehow he's still in his gifted and talented program. So. <laughs> See, he's doing fine. I mean, it seems like uh, the bigger thing we ought to be worrying about, according to the press, are the hoverboards. More than the maybe than yeah, the, some of these it's things. It's funny. Every every decade we have a new device <laughs> that comes out. About ten years ago, when all those Heelys, the shoes, yeah, the exactly, came out, like oh, and the injuries associated with Heelys. And now I see the injuries with hoverboards <laughs> starting to hit the, the press in the next oh, few years. It seems like we're paranoid, Jill. But yeah. uh, appreciate your work. Keep up the great work there. Again, uh, Dr. Joe Grubenhoff, Assistant Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Colorado and Attending Physician at Children's Hospital in Aurora, Colorado. Good stuff. Great, uh, great to have him on the show. And learning, folks. I mean, let's relax a little bit. Let kids be kids. You don't want to put a helmet on your kid. Goodbye. Have a great day at everything. Just pad up. You got to get out there, buddy. Um, Interesting stuff. We'll take a break, come back, continue wrapping up uh, this first hour of the show. Stick with us, folks, helping you live longer and uh, healthier with your healthier brains. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, um, you, you think soccer's dangerous, right? But more dangerous, possibly getting to the airport, right? Listen to this story. A Des Moines, Iowa police officer accidentally fired his gun while practicing his quick draw skills <laughs> in an airport office. Hey, Jimmy, watch this. The police report says that Officer Brady Pratt, 23, was in the International Airport at Des Moines and office, drew his weapon to practice his quick draw skills and unknowingly had his finger on the trigger and discharged around into a ceiling tile. Can you imagine? Watch this, Jimmy. I bet you I can. I bet you I can beat one second pulling that thing out of my pulling that thing out of my holster. The bullet struck the ceiling, traveled through a wall into a ceiling tile in an unoccupied adjacent hallway. No one was injured, but another police officer was present to witness the accidental shot. Pratt uh, then notified his supervisor and was shunned by the rest of the force. Officer Pratt, fastest draw in the West. In the Midwest. Wow. And, I mean, you know what? Don't worry about soccer. Worry about the airport. <laughs> worry about the men in blue practicing their quick draw. Little rule for you. Just a rule. Again, I wouldn't this practice. This is the show where we give you the information you need. Yeah, we're giving you the information you need. If you're going to practice your quick draw, you know, holster removal you know what i'd probably uh, i'd probably empty your weapon i don't want to be old school i'd probably get the safety on make sure there's not one in the chamber probably wouldn't do it at work i might do that in your closet with an empty weapon i might not even use a weapon maybe a banana quick draw the banana Anyway, folks, we can be worried about everything. Concussions, they're a big deal. I mean, I have kids playing football, and I worry about it. And I guess the key is technique, right? Uh, that's why you got to go practice like our good police officer. We'll take a break, folks. That's hour number one of the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back next hour. More ideas, more tools. In fact, we'll be talking technology. We'll have our, our tech guru, Jay McFarland, will be reporting live from uh, – uh, Las Vegas and the CES uh, meetings there. We're going to be finding out all the latest and greatest gadgets. Stick with us. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. Top of the morning to you. Your guide on the side. Your coach. Helping you uh, live longer, love stronger. And by the way, happy National Take Down the Christmas Tree Day. Today's the day. Have you taken your tree down yet? My wife took it down on the 26th. Wow. Yeah. My house was completely switched to non-Christmas mode the day after what what was the hurry uh she had the day off yeah and if she didn't get it done then 
that would probably wait till after New Year's and interesting. She likes to get her house back in order. We had our tree taken down uh, two days later, except then my son received his uh, LDS mission call where they tell you know it's a crazy thing. You put your your papers in in the LDS church to go on a mission. You see those those missionaries all over the guys in or gal the guys in the white shirts and ties and anyway. He got a call. His, they send you a little piece of paper that basically says of the millions of places on this earth that you could go, you're going to this place. So we had to have a party. A little bit of a distraction. And that – we put the tree back up. <laughs> Take it back out. Because yeah, we then were having a bunch of people come over for him to open this call. So it it was up. Then it was down. Now it's up again. But the, everything's off of it. So it's just I think that's my wife's subtle cue for me to carry the tree downstairs to the storage room. See, my wife carried our tree upstairs initially when she set up Christmas after Thanksgiving. She's motivated. She just picked it. I heard like this this noise in the hallway. I I step out of the bedroom because I was asleep. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not waking What's up. What's all this racket? It's the day after Thanksgiving. Why are you going to wake up? And I, I step out, and she's dragging this tree in the box. Just picked it up, muscled <laughs> it right up. I'm like, wow, don't mess with her. Wow. But you got the, a great wife. Then she's like, will you take this downstairs? I saw you carry it upstairs. You hey, take it down. you're she fine. Said, absolutely not. You take it down. So I picked it up. and See, that's why you guys, you're working together. Working together. Hey, uh, Technology Day, our guru, our, our uh, tech guru, Jay McFarland, will be joining us in just a few minutes. He is right now, I believe, in Vegas at the Consumer Electronics Show, CES, being dazzled by all of the latest and greatest inventions. Allegedly. You love that word now. What? Allegedly. Well, it, it's pretty much a catch-all for all things. If you just say that, then you're not accountable. It's true. <laughs> Do you love me? Allegedly. Allegedly, I do. And then if someone – it's like like what Donald Trump has done where he goes, I hear people saying this. Yeah. I'm not saying I don't love you. I'm not saying I do love you. If he would just say allegedly. It has been – other people are reporting that there is love. Allegedly. Have you heard of his uh, press representatives try to sp- yeah. explain and talk around things? Right. See, the funny thing is none of none of his press people have the same ability as he does to dance. They try. Right. Like but, he had that uh, first um, campaign video he put out, and there's a video of people streaming across a border. And in the video, the the, right. the the voiceover talks about the Mexican border. This is happening. I mean, it made you feel like it was happening at the Mexican border. Yeah. Then the media looks into it, and they try to find what this picture is. And, oh, it's a border in Morocco. Well, yeah. And they look, well, well yeah, we know it's Morocco, but this is what it would look Hold like. It. If we don't do anything, I'm like, oh, okay. That's a line in Disney at Disneyland. Yeah. <laughs> How come they all have mouse so, ears on? Uh, other campaigns would have denied that that right, or, or, right. Or, or been like, oh no. Now, how do we spin this out? Well, the Trump campaign goes, absolutely, we did that on purpose for sure. We nailed it, and maybe they did. I don't know. We're very proud of that video, and the video so, was nothing more than just basic press clippings of everything yeah. he's already said. And if you. Back that up into your daily life. Just use the word allegedly. You'll get the Trump effect. Mm-hmm. I like to say, um, I like to say, inside insiders are reporting. Right. I like to use that. You don't place. name uh-huh. the insider. Yeah, you no. simply say sources or insiders. Sources are reporting that Jay McFarland, our tech guru, will be reporting to us live from CES uh, Consumer Electronics Show. Allegedly. 
allegedly the then, insiders then you're, then you're are covered that. coming and going there, right? Yeah. You got the sources and man. No, I'll check with him. I think he he told me he would be in Vegas. It's getting harder to like do our job. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure though that technology is the answer because like what when you think of technology, what do you think is one of the greatest advancements and symbols of technology? DVR. No. No, it is. No, it's not. It goes fire. The wheel, DVR. Okay, let me just add one. You tell me if this... How about space? Eh. How about... What's that? It seems like we're underwater. Yeah, it's like someone's been pinged. <laughs> An astronaut dialed the wrong number. Oh. Now, you know, so you're calling from the space station. British right. astronaut Tim Peake took to Twitter on Thursday to apologize for what could pass for the most prominent telephone misfire of all time. So like I'd like I'd like to apologize to the lady I just called by mistake, saying hello. Is this planet Earth? <laughs> She's like, ah, uh, no, this is the Joneses. County morgue. <laughs> Taco Bell. Um, he he dialed the wrong number from the space station. That's just embarrassing. I, he may have been calling home. So yeah. He might have just misdialed his own number. number. Yeah. So is technology going to help us if we can't even call the right number from the space station? Well, I think most of us, um, if we have a cell phone, you have speed dial. Do you think? Or you have presets. So, like my home, I know the number, but I always just you punch home and you dial home, or right. Like someone asked me my wife's cell phone number. I don't know. I have no idea, but she has one. Yeah, and it's right there. It's her name, and you punch it. Do you think he has roaming charges? Yeah, long distance on that would that, be crazy. That's crazy, honey. Ah, did I should I called the wrong number? Do you think he had a special phone or was it two just... million dollar overage? <laughs> two million dollar roaming charge, calling from outer space. Huh. I'd make sure I have my family's phone number. What that... do you th- What do you think the connection signal is? Do you think it sounds good? Do you think the reception is well? Yeah. I think you got a straight shot to a satellite. I, I guess. You're probably in the same orbit. Yeah. A little higher. Huh. Yeah, you're right there. You probably have better coverage from the space station. Couldn't they just route you from Houston? Well, yeah, but that's too that's old school. Okay. More and, unique if you yeah, actually made a phone call. Just ping it off of your comm satellite. So this is the ET phone home thing. Mm-hmm. Huh. But it's not ET. It's um it's Tim Peak. Oh, okay. TP. It's different. It's TP. TP phone home. <laughs> but make sure you call the wrong number. I'm looking for Taco Bell. Siri. I used to answer dial. the phone as a kid, uh, County Morgue, just to see what would happen. How'd that go? Um, Some people were confused. Other people just asked for my mom. Yes, is Terrell there? <laughs> Sorry, County Morgue. County Morgue, wrong number. Oh, that's bad. That's bad. Hey, uh, anything going on around the news that we need to be paying attention to? Quite a bit. Thanks, Matt. Shortly after a 5.1 magnitude earthquake was detected in North Korea Wednesday, the country announced it has successfully tested a hydrogen bomb. If there is no invasion on our sovereignty, we will not use nuclear weapons, the state news agency said. This H-bomb test brings us to a higher level of nuclear power. Mm. North Korea said the test took place at 10 a.m. local time. In the northeastern part of the country, earlier officials in South Korea declared that the earthquake was artificial, and and the foreign ministry called an emergency meeting to discuss the possibility of a nuclear test. Hydrogen bombs are more powerful 
than plutonium weapons, and if North Korea has one in its arsenal, it would be a significant advancement, says CNN. North Korea is believed to have few uh, few cruder weapons and has conducted its last atomic test in February 2013. So they uh, apparently have advanced their technology and then followed it up with a threat to the world. I thought that they were I thought they were just using the the nuclear you know arsenal or whatever to to create nuclear energy. Ah uh, no, that is Iran. Oh. They don't have an H bomb test, do they? No. North Korea is very open in the fact that they have weapons. We have weapons. We have no means of delivering them. <laughs> Yesterday, uh, President Obama delivered his uh, executive order on gun control, his plan for that. The NRA responded by releasing a statement slamming the president for once again choosing to engage in political rhetoric instead of offering meaningful solutions to our nation's pressing problems. The American people do not need more emotional, condescending lectures that are completely devoid of facts. The men and women of the National Rifle Association take a backseat to no one when it comes to keeping our communities safe. Hmm. And it goes on. Wow. So that was interesting. That's strongly worded. Yes. But they have uh, an interest in not seeing, uh, I guess, gun rights curtailed in any way. Yeah. So they would respond in this way. Um, also, just a few hours after the president's announcement, a series of uh, executive actions that uh, changed some of the background check requirements on gun sales, uh, Ted Cruz put up a link on his website comparing the president to a SWAT team raider or something. The image is a Photoshop of Obama wearing military-style garb. He has a military helmet on, and he has like a, looks like a bulletproof vest <laughs> and a stern expression with, with, with the, uh, the, the comment next to it saying, Obama wants your guns. Support the protection <laughs> of your Second Amendment. The page also has a form where those concerned about an armed Obama seizing their guns can give crews their names and email addresses. Is this the is this the same Ted Cruz? Is this the is this the Canadian Cuban evangelist Ted Cruz? Yes. Okay. Trump's called into has heard other people talk about the question of whether Ted Cruz's Canadian citizenship should be an issue. Yeah, and and the phrase again was Obama wants your guns. Obama wants your guns. It says yeah, <laughs> Obama wants your guns. So gun curtailing gun yeah. uh, background checks has turned into he's kicking your door down to take your guns away. Well, then, first the guns, then women and children. There you go. Man. In other news. What's happening? Our there? friends up in Oregon, southeastern yes. Oregon, they're holding that federal building that There's is There's a on, holdout, yeah they're, yeah. they're fighting feds. Ammon Bundy, the leader of the group, of uh, the Oregon militiamen, as they're calling him, who sees the building at the Wildlife Refuge over the weekend, was suspended from Twitter on Tuesday afternoon. The Mormon anti-government activist, as he's being detailed yeah. now, which is- Great. The son of Cliven Bundy, the Nevada rancher who led a similar standoff to, against the feds in 2014, has led at least 20 other like-minded armed men in protesting federal ownership in Harney County, Oregon. Hmm. Uh, Twitter has not yet explained Bundy's suspension, but his last public tweet quoted a founding father to defend his own cause. As Thomas Paine said, it is the duty of the patriot to protect his country from its government. Right. But the LDS Church came out aggressively disavowing any— There's been a lot of religious uh, comments and sort of justifications kind of for the actions that have taken place in Oregon, and the LDS Church came out against that, saying there's no way you can look at, you know, what we teach and how that should somehow, you know, make this legit. This isn't the way you do it. Right. 
you're supposed to obey the laws of the land. That's the idea. Not take over. But they're also freezing them out, apparently. Continuing on, federal authorities are planning to cut off the power to the wildlife refuge <laughs> in Oregon that has been taking place, taken over by the militia, exposing them to sub-zero temperatures. Arm, uh, so they vowed to stay there for months. It appears that federal authorities <sighs> are planning to use the power cut in an attempt <sighs> to starve the militia out. Uh, he goes, as one guy's quoted, he says, after they shut off the power, they'll kill the phone service. They'll block all the roads so that those guys will have a long, lonely winter to think about what they've done. Hold it. Hold I can't even watch Netflix. Snowstorms are expected in the wilderness surrounding the refuge area over the next few days. At night, temperatures are uh, forecast to dip to 18 degrees. So no heat, <laughs> no power. Well, you know the militia has a generator. They'd better. <laughs> How are we going to charge our cell phones? Yeah, what are they going to do? Oh, man. You know what's so funny? That if, This will never happen. In 20 years from now, I'm going to predict. There will no longer be long standoffs with police in 20 years from now. We'll be too addicted to our devices. You will, it will, your standoff will last as long as you have cell phone <laughs> coverage and charge. One guy from, uh, I think, Arizona said he needed to get home because there's some cows that have got loose on his property and they're lost. He's got to get home to his cows. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So he goes, let's wrap this up, guys. Okay, are we done? Um... <laughs> I've got my cows. <laughs> anyway, interesting stuff. You know? They believe what they're doing, but, you know, we'll see. How much do you believe it's going to be a cold, cold winter? We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, our tech guru, Jay McFarland, will be joining us. And he is live in Vegas at uh, at CES, the Consumer Electronics Show. This is where they debut all the latest and greatest tech gadgets. We're going to just find out what he's been testing, what he's finding out What should we be getting excited about? This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us, folks, helping you get the information you need to grow healthier, happier lives. We'll be right back. How I wish that there were more than 24 hours in the day. Even if there were 40 more. I wouldn't sleep a minute away. Oh, Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Elvis. Viva Las Vegas, folks. We're going to shoot it down to Las Vegas. Our tech guru, Jay McFarland, is there. Jay is the co-host of the popular Browsers radio show on KSL News Radio. He also is the author of two books, Freedom Ain't Free and Joyful Union, and is uh, an app maker extraordinaire. He has uh, created several, or I believe even hundreds, of uh, popular apps and games for the iPhone and iPad devices. Now he joins us from the Consumer Electronics Show in Vegas. Hello, Jay. Hey, Matt. What's going on? How are you, brother? You having fun there? Uh, I'm doing great. You know, things are just getting started. The floor officially opens today at 10 o'clock. Have you been stretching out? I know you you got to be yeah. stretched and ready. Yeah, we average, we figured it out, we average 10 to 12 miles a day down here just walking from booth to booth. It is an amazing event, and it's bigger this year than ever. Of course. So we've got our walking shoes on, and we're ready to go. Did you bring a hoverboard? No, illegal at the uh, (laughs) Consumer Electronics Show. They don't want to fire. They don't want to fire. Yeah. Yeah, they might they might catch on fire. Oh man! So you you've already gone to some um, press uh, meetings and and mm-hmm. found out kind of what's coming up. 
I, do you already have like a plan? Is this like Disneyland where you already have scoped out, okay, we're going to go do this California world, then we're going to – do you have your plan? <laughs> yes, you absolutely have to. So we have been planning for weeks, actually. We start out at 10 o'clock today. We're going to be over at uh, BMW's booth, Ooh. and we're going to be trying out some of their autonomous vehicle technology and some of their ideas for the inside of your car. Everybody's moving towards gesture controls in your vehicle. Really? So you can, yes, you can use the force while you're driving. That's so great. You know, if you want the sunroof open, you don't press a button because we know that's too difficult. So you you just wave your hand backwards towards the that's good towards the roof and it opens and and uh, you can say next song. You know, I don't like this song, and so you just you swipe to the right or wow. replay this song and you swipe to the left. It, the problem is if you're a hand talker like I am, uh-huh. your car's going to be going yeah. crazy. No, yeah, you're going to be stopping, starting, <laughs> turning left. And, and plus, yeah. I, I don't know that gestures in the car, that's a great thing because there's some hand gestures that could be fatal. Yeah, also, you know, maybe you can program them to do certain things. <laughs> I don't know, but every auto manufacturer is displaying some type of gesture controls. Uh, so we're going to check them out and see, you know, see what they do. Well, there could be nothing unhealthy about people gesturing now <laughs> to change their radio station, right? I, I mean, now, now you're going to take your hands off the wheel. Like, what next? Well, it's interesting because also every auto manufacturer is here, and they're all rolling out their autonomous self-driving vehicles. Right. So I I think the idea is you're not even going to have your hands on the wheel. You're not even going to be looking at the road. The car's going to be doing all the driving. So why not be able to just control everything? In fact, Volvo is rolling out a dashboard that looks like a normal dashboard when you're driving. But when you put it in autonomous mode – the entire dashboard flips over to this giant interactive display where you can stream Netflix, you can oh, pull up Microsoft boy. Office, you can do all of these things because the car's doing the driving. Right. So you can, they're starting to worry about us getting bored right. in these autonomous vehicles. Well, now you can, now, what a great blessing because now you could actually get up, <laughs> go back into the back seat of the van, and dig yeah. that chicken nugget out of your child's car seat. <laughs> yeah, and and the car's doing the driving. That's right. I'm gonna sleep. I'm gonna sleep the whole time. I am time. too. Oh, I am yeah, too. I'm not gonna be doing work or yeah. watching Netflix. Oh my heavens! The I'm cars. Out the cars. So you, you're gonna go check out all these cars. Um, but Jay, a lot of these things may not even really happen, right? Well, we yeah, we've been seeing tech like this uh, for years, and so many things that we see out here are in the absolute prototype mode, and we really don't know when we're going to see them. But I'll tell you the one that we've seen for a couple of years from Chevy that they're finally officially rolling out here at CES this year is the Chevy Bolt. Uh, The reason this is getting so much interest is it's a purely electric vehicle. It's a cute little little vehicle. Um, It's got all this tech in it, this huge touch display. It goes 200 miles to the charge. Wow. But it's only $30,000. Now, that's a game changer because it's $30,000, and depending on where you live, your average tax uh, credit on that Mm -hmm. is going to be $7,500. Holy cow. They've broken the barrier. Yeah, that's exactly right because any other vehicle that's been out there, you've had like the Nissan Leaf that's been out there in that price range, but it's only going 50 miles to the charge. Uh, so that's very limiting. So now you're up to Tesla-type range 
but you're talking about $23,000 all in for this vehicle. So that is getting a lot of interest. We saw that uh, the first prototype two years ago. We sat in one last year, and they were not giving us any dates or anything. And now they're saying, you're going to see this thing uh, within the year. And that's amazing. That is amazing. Boy, yeah. that, that is a deal changer, isn't it? Absolutely. That the $2,300 or $23,000 car, that's, that's like what you buy the college kid right there. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And 200 miles to the charge. And we're finally starting to see infrastructure, you know, right there in, in, uh, in Utah, like the Larry H. Miller Megaplex theaters are putting chargers right. at all their stations. You're seeing them at grocery stores. So you're starting to see this infrastructure that is really going to play into that. I think for the first time, Matt, we can say this is viable. This is not just for the, you know, the first adopter. It's not just for the, the extreme tree hugger. Or mm-hmm. it's for everybody because it's starting to make a lot of sense. It's a Chevy. Yeah, it's not a Prius. <laughs> this is amazing. Yeah, yeah and absolutely. it's got the name Bolt, so you know it's like it's awesome, shocking. Right? <laughs> it's exciting. Absolutely awesome. So, so you're going to look at the cars. What else? What else is coming up for you today? Well, the other thing that I that I love is we're finally starting to see these cars adopt an Android phone operating system or an Apple operating system, Apple CarPlay or Android Car. And the reason that that is so awesome is because there, for a while it looked like the cars were just going to say, we're going to install one of these operating systems, and you have to decide what your operating system is before you buy the car. Hmm. And then if you want to change, it, it screws everything up. Now, finally, Chevy was the first. We saw it last year. Now Ford is doing it. Chrysler is doing it. Your car will know when you plug your phone in which operating system it has, and your icons from your phone will appear on the screen, on the dashboard. And so it's your maps, it's your contacts, it's your Pandora or your uh, Apple Music or whatever it is. And so you don't have to learn the operating system of your car Right, because your car has always had a separate nav system than your phone. Right, and so now it'll just know what your phone is. It'll display that operating system. Uh, sorry, Windows users, and I think there's some BlackBerry users out there still. <laughs> they they don't have that for you. You're gonna have to. You're gonna have to do something else. <laughs> sorry, you're gonna have to yeah. take public transportation. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> that's so sad. So sad for you. Is um, I mean, I've even seen that in some of these new cars, and yeah. I, but I didn't realize it would be your own apps. It would be your, it's your screen basically. Yeah, it, it, it's it's really kind of a representation of your screen, but it's absolutely your apps. It doesn't show all of your apps. They right. have to go through this separate screening process to meet road qualifications. <laughs> uh, you know, so certain apps will appear. Uh, that are that meet those qualifications, or they may appear in a limited fashion. So you can do some things with them, but not other things. But it makes total sense. Because, you know, the car I have right now, it's a 2015, but it has its own nav system. It has its own music system. It has mm-hmm. its own operating system, basically. And I mostly listen to music and do navigation and those kind of things on my phone. So all that stuff that's in the car is useless to me. I don't use it. <laughs> You know, yeah. So it, it's a nice idea, and I'm finally glad to see all the car manufacturers adopting it. Uh, that is, I think it's. I mean, it's it's cool how fast, and it's also interesting to me how the American brands are the, are such early adopters of a lot of this. Yes, 
Yeah, they're finally leading out in so much of this tech. Although everybody's here, even Volkswagen is here. They they rolled out last night a new uh, a new. It's what are they calling it? It's like a minivan, um, kind of like these. I thought it was going to look like the old style VW bus. I was really yeah. Cool. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, it doesn't. Oh. It looks totally different, but it's getting rave reviews for all of its smart technology. And, but everybody's wondering, does it lie to the emission systems or not? So Volkswagen is here. Yeah. Their CEO actually went on stage last night and apologized outright. Oh, and just wow. Said, yeah, he just said, I'm sorry that we lied to you. Yeah. I'm sorry that we were cheating the systems, but that doesn't mean we don't make great cars. And, and then he rolled out this van. So Oh, I, oh, I can see the van. Is it the Bud E concept van? Yeah. So they call yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's – I guess – how do you dig your way out of that, Volkswagen? I guess yeah. you just send your CEO to CES and – Well, and they're being sued now by the EPA, and, and I think the biggest question is if you went down to a dealership and you purchased one of these vehicles and you drove it and and you were told this thing is clean-burning diesel and you drove it and you said, no way, it performs too well uh-huh. to be clean-burning diesel. Well, now they're going to offer a fix-up to you and you're going to go – Oh, now I get it because it's not going to perform as well. And you bought based upon that. I mean, exactly. aren't, aren't you entitled to a refund? Because you were right. Take the car back, pay me back, yeah, or a new vehicle. So that is a question left to be answered. But I have to say, there's a lot of other, especially in the health world. There's a lot of really other cool things that we're going to go see today. Let, let's do this. Uh, let's come back and talk about, about it, Jay. I yeah. want to know about the health thing, and then I, I really want to know if we need a refrigerator. As advanced as the Samsung thing. This is crazy. Well, you use the word need. I don't know if there's anything <laughs> down here at the consumer. Anybody needs. So you absolutely That's so need. That's so true. Oh, Jay. You I'll nailed it. for the one thing you need. Yeah, find that other one thing. That, yeah, Take a picture that, of it. These are all, these are all wants. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, hang on, Jay. We'll be right back. More with Jay McFarland, our tech guru, live from Vegas, folks. Whether you need it or not, we're going to give you the latest and greatest tech advancements that they're promoting and pushing down there in uh, Vegas. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. To the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, our tech guru, Jay McFarland, is live from Las Vegas at uh, CES, the Consumer Electronics Show. They're about to open the doors there, and he is, he's got a lot of ground to cover. Millions and millions of millions of miles he will be walking before he can sleep. Jay McFarland, uh, you can find his website, jmcfarland.com. He is... Uh, He's, he's the best when it comes to technology and the information you need. He's the co-host of the Browsers radio program from KSL News Radio. He's also the author of a couple books and uh, the author, really, and creator of hundreds of uh, apps and games you can find on his website uh, at jmcfarland.com. He also will teach you how to make apps. Come on! It can't get better than that. Jay, welcome back to the show, brother. Thank you, sir. We are Getting ready. I'm I'm doing stretches right now. You stretched. You got your tennis yeah. shoes on. Yeah. You got your skeechers on. 
Yep, I'm all ready to go. <laughs> Talk about uh, so. Other than the car technology, what uh, what are you going to do for other health gadgets and and of course the Samsung refrigerator? Well, so the refrigerator and, and don't forget the Samsung washer too. These things oh wow. They, I think Samsung thinks we hate ordering and shopping. Yeah. So we'll talk about those in just a minute. But first of all, this is a company called Level, L-E-V-L, and they have identified the problem with a lot of our fitness trackers, and that is that they do not track the fat burn right. when, you're, when you're working out. Scales don't do it. Uh, these devices don't do it. They can tell you your heart rate and and uh, and their calorie burn based upon certain assumptions. But they have a proprietary technology that they claim, and it seems to be backed up, so I'm just going to go with their claims, that says that they can tell your exact fat burn, how much you're burning at that particular moment, through your breath. What? Yeah. Gross. Through your breath. Really? They, you just yeah. blow on something? They have uh, basically a breathalyzer that you <laughs> breathe into, kind of like uh, an alcohol breathalyzer test. Yeah, every, and, every bar... Drunk, just cringed. <laughs> is this where we're going with this? <laughs> Basically, the idea, it's, it, it is a larger device. It looks like it'll fit on a tabletop. I'm not sure if they're intending it for just like gyms or if it's for home use. Huh. But it hooks up to uh, uh, an app on your phone. So in the middle of your workout, you can go over, you can breathe into the thing, and it will identify when you're in that perfect fat burning mode and tell you how much you're burning just by your breath. Hmm. And so that and I guess you just need to do it once and then you kind of know your numbers. Well, yeah, I think the idea is to do it uh, for a couple of workouts and then you kind of compare that to the heart rate that you achieve. Right. And those types of things and know when you're exactly in that mode. Hmm. So that one is based upon your breath. There's another device out here that really could be a life saving device uh this this company says that they have a handheld scanner it's really the size of like a little you know a little battery pack that you would carry around right. for your phone and it uses light to scan the molecules in food so you sit down at a meal uh and you're not sure what is exactly in the food because i guess you don't know who made it or the restaurant <laughs> so i tell you what's in it wow and it will scan the food and it will tell you the nutritional makeup of the food and what is in the food. And it will do it instantly and send the information to your phone so that you can decide how much of it you want to eat or if you want to eat any of it at all. Well, now you're going to know the special recipe for Kentucky Fried Chicken. Yeah, I don't know if it's going to tell you like three cups of flour and you know <laughs> that it. kind of stuff. But uh, what it will tell you, and this is where I think it gets very interesting, is if there's anything in there you're allergic to. Oh. Or if you're a diabetic and you have to have very specific information about sugar intake and those types of things. That's what they're aiming at. They think eventually you may be able to use it for, you know, your diet. But they're what, really what diet? Saying, no, but yeah. you should use it. But how interesting. Yeah, you could say this is going to cost you this much. This will force you to work out this much. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And then you go work out and you use the breathalyzer and you know yeah. you're, when you're in the zone. And so this is tech that really helps you in that regard. But again, if you're if you're a mom, like I have a, a niece who has extreme allergies, 
and they're very careful about everything she eats, and sometimes they just don't know. Mm-hmm. And when they don't know, they just stay away from it because right. they can't take any chances. If you could have confidence in this type of device to just scan it and know instantly, that could open up a whole different world of food availability right. for that person. It could also save their life. That's you know, cool. They, yeah, so I really, really like that technology. And then there's the kind of the quirky uh, but we've been waiting forever, and that's the Back to the Future uh, smart tennis shoes are finally here at CES. <laughs> Self, self-lacing tennis shoes? Yeah. The, well, these ones will get tighter or or larger based upon your needs. Oh, wow. Uh, but they also have temperature controls that you control with your uh, with your your phone. So it'll go up to 110 degrees Fahrenheit <laughs> in your shoes. So you can heat them up. And you can basically lace them up, and they also will track calorie burn steps, those types of things. And they look kind of cool, and they have a replaceable sole. And they have, they have a sole sensor that tells you when it's time to replace that sole. Oh, your sole yeah. is wearing out. No doubt. <laughs> so we're going to go and check out those. That's, that's cool. Kinda, that's that's kind of like the Samsung stuff, the fridge and the... And the uh, di- and the clothes washer, the same idea. It's going to tell you when you need food. It'll even order the food for you if you want to. This is, yeah, this is getting out of control. Well, I mean, it's starting know, rest- to scare me. Well, restaurants have had this technology for a long time, right? Where time to reorder, yeah, yeah. So when you order food, you enter in what you ordered at a restaurant in their point of sale system. And then it knows the content of all the food that you sell. And so it can tell when you're going to need to reorder more food. And it'll prepare the order for you. And you just verify it. And then you place the order. That's what Samsung is doing with their refrigerators is through cameras and other things. The idea is to know what you have and what you need. And if you set, like, I always want to have three gallons of milk. And I always want to have this many eggs, and I always want to have this much. It can prepare the order for you, and it can send it off if you want. I don't know if it will check your bank account to see if you have enough money to pay for it. Right. But it will place the order for you. And they've done the same thing with the uh, clothes washer out here that they say can track the amount of detergent that you're using per wash. And it can know when you need to order more detergent, and so it links with Amazon's Dash button. And it'll order more detergent for you. So you don't even have to Man. worry about it. You're, you know I'm always talking about the magic house, how mm-hmm. things happen in my house, and I don't know how they happen. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like folded clothes end up in my drawer every week, and I don't know how they get there. <laughs> it is the weirdest then, thing. I know. It's crazy. <laughs> but we're, we're getting there with technology. You, you might want to just saying. ask your wife. I bet you she's got an inside track on that. I don't know. I think she's as amazed as I am. As, you know, <laughs> She's amazed that you're amazed. <laughs> She's like, she can't believe that, Jay, are you serious? You're a smart man. I come home every day, and the bed is made, man. (laughs) I mean, it's amazing. And you didn't even touch it. No. And we didn't pay extra for this house. And and then just, I mean, is is there home automation stuff there? Because, like, I'm thinking, okay, the fridge is great, but I also have a pantry. So if I could have the same technology in my pantry, then when I, you know, take some noodles and sauce or whatever or whatever soup all of a sudden i know i need to have that replaced there's a day that you're not going to have to make the list or even go do the shopping yeah in fact there's a company out here i can't remember the name we're going to go see them tomorrow 
it's for under a hundred dollars. This is a pressure sensitive mat, and you put it under your uh, products in your in your pantry. Now, and then what you do is you tell the app uh, what each item is that you keep there. So you have to be specific about what you put on there mm-hmm. and keep it organized, which my magic house does too. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> and, and then based upon weight, it can tell if you've used something. So nothing in there is going to weigh exactly the same amount, right? So if yeah. you have a can of tuna, when you pull that can out, it knows you pulled out a can of tuna based upon the weight difference. And so then you can say, I always want to have this much tuna and it will prepare that list for you. So you just need to put one of these mats on each shelf, and then it can actually tell you how much is, has gone in and how much has gone out, and it can prepare that food order for you. Mm. This is a new amazing. day and age, man. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely amazing. And then, and then the other thing is every, every single appliance manufacturer is making things like Samsung where the appliances talk to each other. Oh, boy. And... You know, I don't I don't know that I care about that, but yeah. I'll tell you what I do care about is an appliance that will talk to the electric company oh. and and tell when the peak electricity usage is. And so you could put dishes in the dishwasher. Again, that happens in my house automatically. Right, you right. Can put them in and you could say, Do these dishes when the electricity is the cheapest? Because you know we're all on these That would be fantastic. Yeah, exactly. Right. Right, so you could say, I want to do this laundry, but don't do it until it's the cheapest, until electricity costs the least. That's technology to me that is is very important to our electrical grid, but also to our wallets. And so I can't wait to see some of that stuff come along. Yeah, what about, yeah, the day that these, because it seems like each one of these is going to end up costing me more. Yeah. <laughs> but well, but you know, my, the day, the day they're cutting it back for you, boy, that's a cool day. Oh, yeah. I mean, that Samsung fridge is $5,000. So, you know, I mean, that is very steep. I They're saying here that this is the year, 2016 is the year at CES of the smart home. We're finally going to get the smart home. Honestly, I don't think most of us are going to see this tech for years and years. Mm-hmm. When are you going to replace your appliances? Are you going to go out and get a new fridge just because no. it's smart? And are you going to pay five gonna- grand for one? Right. I just bought a, a brand new fridge and a brand new dishwasher. They're not smart because I don't <laughs> want to spend the money for them because they're very expensive right now. They're dumb. You bought some sorry. dumb fridge. <laughs> yeah, sorry. They're not here, so they can't hear me. But um, they're, I'm hopeful I get 10 years out of them. Right. 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 So, so unless this technology gets so incredibly cheap, and even regular fridge technology is not cheap right now, then why would I go out and get one of these? You know some of this smart tech. I just, I just don't know why I would do it. No, so I, I think I we're still right. years away. Well, this is a fun day. You and, and Amy Iverson, your co-host, you just you get all geared up and you walk around. Do you do they give you stuff? Do you buy? I mean, this is the biggest trade show I think probably in the world. It is. It is the biggest in the world, and it it is not uh, your typical show where you think you're going to get your swag bag. Yeah, and go around and get stuff. You, we don't come away. Uh, with things here. These booths aren't giving things out. Really, the idea is you have uh, several groups of people here. You have the media, you have vendors, and you have purchasers, and then you have industry experts. So uh, these booths are here because they're hoping that the Walmart purchaser will stop by their booth and say, 
wow, I really like what you have to offer. Well, let's put it on our shelves. Hmm. So they're trying to get into all of the all of the retailers and things like that. So you can't even buy a ticket to come into CES. You have to have some industry connection uh, to even walk in the door. So every badge you'll see, they're a vendor, they're a purchaser, they're a member of the media. Uh, so it's a little bit different show in that way, not wow. geared towards the public. Yeah. Well, bummer for you. But you are in Vegas, so you guys can get a good buffet and go catch a, a show. <laughs> No, we never do. We always say we're going to do other things, and we come home. We get home probably by six thirty, and we are exhausted. You just rub your feet. And yeah, <laughs> go and just go get a gone. prime rib buffet, and then you go to bed. Just gone. Mm. Room service. Room service is where it's at. Well, Jay, you know what? Take lots of pictures. Okay, let's I want. Do it. I want to see you trying everything. All right, and I'll keep in touch. I'll let you know if there's anything that is absolutely mind blowing. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure there is, and there will be. <laughs> Jay McFarland, thanks, brother. You you did great. That's awesome. No problem. Knock him dead. Go check out his website, jmcfarland.com. Really, he's he's on the cutting edge of all of this. He talks about it all day on his on his show um, on KSL, uh, the Browsers Radio Program. You can go look that up as well. Good stuff. We'll take a break, folks. Come back and uh, wrap up this second hour of the of the show. Man, tech. It's helpful, isn't it? Eh, kind of. Sometimes, you know. Sometimes you just wonder why. Why do we need so much stuff? We'll take a break, folks. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, all this technology, it's its overwhelming, isn't it? Like, how great, though, could some of this be? To, to change your life, uh, the fact that you wouldn't have to go get groceries, that your pantry would be able to tell you when you need more whatever, and then just order it. And then the next order that comes from Amazon or your local store, boom, all of a sudden it's taken care of. Interesting, interesting stuff. I have an Apple Watch, for example. You've heard me talk about that quite a bit. But uh, I just had a new discovery about the Apple Watch. Um, you know that uh, a lot of times it's cold. You might have gloves on or you're carrying something and, and you can't necessarily use your hand to access the watch. Now you can use your nose, they're finding out. About 50% of Apple Watch users are now <laughs> using their nose to access and uh, to, to get to their phone. And they're just – they just rub, 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 just rub their nose right on their little Apple Watch. Hey, Matt, what you doing? I'm just trying to get my text message. Yeah, I think that's a, the sound of you texting with your nose. That is. It's so hard. But look how fast I can type. It's hard. <laughs> oh, it's exhausting. Yeah. Who'd have thunk it? I mean, a year ago before I got my watch, I would never have thought of touching my nose to my wrist. Now, I can't stop. <laughs> I can't stop. Um, anyway, crazy stuff. So technology, right? It's your friend. It's not your master. It doesn't need to. It doesn't need to destroy your life. And again, many of these gadgets may not be things you're going to be looking for. You may not ever need them. You may not ever want them. But it kind of tells you that in 30 years from now, think about it for real. 30 years from now. 
this technology, it's just a lot of it's just going to be commonplace. When you go to the gym, you'll be able to just breathe into that whatever it is, that tool that will tell you, yeah, you burn this much fat. You're actually burning this much fat. It'll then create a better plan for you. There's there's just no end to it. If Chevy Bolt it can now create a car that with, you know, refunds from the government costs you about $23,000 for a car that can get 200 miles to the charge, times they are a-changing. And that's that's probably in the end a really good thing. So we, uh, we're going to take a, a break, come back with our final hour on the Matt Townsend Show. Next hour, we're going to be talking with Dr. Stephen Stosny, one of the great uh, marriage and relationship experts in the country, about how to get your partner motivated, maybe to do what you want, but to, to try to persuade them the right way. A lot of times we try some other ways that aren't as effective, coercion, man- manipulation. There's healthier ways to do it. We'll be talking with the good Dr. Stosny in just a minute. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back after the break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, helping you get through life. You know, none of us came with an owner's manual. You got to make it up as you go. So on this show, we try to give you the information, the access to the greatest uh, thinkers' ideas, not 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 our ideas, of course, but uh, the people we interview. They've got great ideas. Ours are pretty good. Yeah. No? I mean, yeah. I mean, sometimes sometimes they're just not. Really? Yeah. I mean, that's what the, rating, okay. that's what the ratings were saying. Okay. I'm just... I think maybe we have a good idea or two every once in a while. Well, we do. It's National Take Down the Christmas Tree Day. There's an idea. If you you don't have it down by now, please. Get that tree down. And get the lights off your house. Seriously. I can't take mine off now. Why not? Because I need a ladder. Well, climb up and take care of it. I got to get a ladder. That's kind of why I don't put them up. Yeah. Because then you have to take them down. But my kids are like, Dad, can't we be like everyone else in the neighborhood with festive spirit and no son all year long no take him down sorry we don't have a ladder <laughs> let's ask santa for a ladder dad it's also apple tree day it's also called apple tree day because it's the put the doctor out of business day because an apple a day keeps the doctor away just so happens i have an apple today i eat an apple every single day do you really never go to the doctor i'm pretty sure eventually those don't correlate no but as it just said, the doctor, he has stayed away. And my dentist, he kind of likes it because he just, you know, clean your teeth and kick you out the door. He doesn't have to go in and start drilling and removing. Well, he did last time. But that was different. But, yeah, that's because you, you've you been eating too many apples. Yeah, basically. And apparently something with a lot of sugar in it. Yeah, an apple. There's a lot of sugar in an apple. Well, like I'm talking it's natural about. sugar. It's good for you, sugar. Right. Just, just ask the people who like sugar. Hey, uh, speaking of Christmas trees... This is kind of is in the this is this is this is the bad boys bad boys file. Okay. So 
Matt giving advice to criminals on how not to be a dumb criminal. Yeah. Bad boys, bad boys. What you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? If you're going to rob a bank, yes, you you, you gotta make sure you can hide. You gotta hide. Again, after yesterday, we talked about the guy that went to door. Go, go into the bank and he pushed instead of pulled and got stuck. And like, yeah. the door's not open. You need to plan ahead. Again, like here, you need right. to have a plan on where to hide. So, this 28 year old man faces federal and state charges after he robbed a credit union in Oregon, then went on a shopping spree that included buying a Christmas tree, mm. which he later used to try to hide from police. The tree? Yeah. Hmm. Hey, I think that, um, I think that. Fake tree is moving. <laughs> you think it I'm sounds right? like you, you you all of a sudden find yourself with a, a, a large quantity of money, right? And you're like, well, it's December. Yeah, I got a little extra money now. <laughs> Let's go make some purchases. Give me a tree. The Oregonian reports that the FBI says Brett Gillespie Comstock went into a credit union twice on December 16th before he walked to a teller. He told her he was ready to open an account. He handed her a note demanding five thousand dollars. He left with $1,373 in an envelope. By the way, a little yeah. advice. If you ask for five, you get 1300 Well, you know. I'd ask for 10 You might get three grand. Okay. <laughs> um, the newspaper reports that Ben police officers found Gillespie Comstock nearby about 40 minutes after the robbery and arrested him. The Oregonian reports that authorities say he used some of the money to buy a Christmas tree and he, he was trying to hide his face behind the tree when police stopped him. <laughs> hey, you, with the Christmas tree in downtown Oregon. Where was he? In what city? Uh, you, you, you're not fooling us, man. That's funny. Are you Mr. Gillette? Yeah, there seems to be a lack of planning. It's more of a spur of the moment yeah. type thing that goes on when people are robbing, at least the stories that right. I'm finding. Well, it seems like... I have another it's, one it's coming like up a in a couple, couple it's days. Like, it's an impulsive thing. Yeah, it's like, just plan. You know, don't don't that's use right. your personal vehicle. That's right. If you do, maybe remove the license plates. Don't push a pull door and don't pull a push door. Maybe scout the place out before you go in. Yeah, I mean, we, just just think it out. <laughs> I promise your odds go up dramatically. Doing what we can to even help the criminals <laughs> plan, live. Plan ahead. Come on. A healthier, happier life. It's sad that we have to do it. It is a public service, though. Yeah. What do you do? What do you do? Hey, uh, anything – we got a great guest coming up, Dr. Steve Stosny. Have you ever had a situation where you were trying to get your wife to do something that you wanted, but they just don't do it? Every day. Well, we're going to teach you the trick. Really? Yeah. It's actually more for the wife to teach the husband. Oh. But is this for positive ends or selfish yeah. reasons? Well, it's probably in the end, if it's too selfish, you're going to end up causing a bigger problem. So if, it's like a mm-hmm. good thing. Like – we need to get healthier, maybe. So maybe you're trying to help motivate your partner to get healthier, but you probably ought not use coercion and manipulation and bartering and begging and all these other ways. Okay. Maybe we need to talk, negotiate, get real. But then I'll end up having to do something I don't want to do. Right. But then it would be mutual. Uh, yeah. Okay, we'll we'll hear what he has to say. We'll find out. Dr. Steve Stosny <laughs> will be joining us. He really is one of the great leaders in marriage and family uh, in the country. So we're lucky to have him. Uh, he also wrote a great article in uh, the magazine uh, Psychology Today, How to Get Your Partner to Do What You Want, but the Right Way.
the healthier way. We'll get to him in a minute, but first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry? Thanks, Matt. Senator Marco Rubio slammed President Obama late Tuesday after North Korea announced it had successfully detonated a hydrogen bomb. Rubio said, I have been warning throughout this campaign that North Korea is run by a lunatic who has been expanding his weapons arsenal while President Obama has stood idly by, the Republican presidential candidate said. If this test is confirmed, it will be just the latest example of the failed Obama-Clinton foreign policy. So, there's the other side. The other side of the story. Um, the cost of New Jersey Governor Chris Christie's security detail could be well over $1 million dollars. But since Christie's security happens to be the New Jersey State Police, and since his campaign isn't explaining who's paying the bill, things could be a little tricky. (laughs) It is possible that Christie's presidential campaign is reimbursing the state police for expenses incurred in the course of the presidential campaign, although that would be a shift in Christie's approach. He has previously defended using his security detail on political trips. Uh, Christie spokesman Kevin Roberts wouldn't answer several questions about how tax dollars might be used, citing a pending lawsuit from liberal groups in New Jersey that say Christie is violating his fiduciary uh, responsibility by spending so much of his of tax dollars on his campaign. Well, from the rest of us, we appreciate all you folks from New Jersey yeah. supporting the electoral process. I was reading that like, really? He's using his state But a million, bodyguards? yeah. Well, when the governor comes, well, they got to bring his peeps. He doesn't constitute a... Uh, Secret Service detail. No, he's not. Yeah, he's not. He's not on the top of the polls. But he he needs security, and he's a big target. I'm sorry. Oh, that was that was rude. really rude. That I'm sorry. Was rude. You're a monster. I'm really sorry. <laughs> uh, moving on. Following Donald Trump's suggestion that Muslims be banned from entering the United States, members of Parliament in the UK will debate banning him from their country. More than five hundred thousand people signed a petition requesting the ban, forcing the House of Commons. A petitions committee to schedule a debate session January 18th in Westminster Hall. But he has a property. Doesn't he have a hotel in the U.K.? Going on, the Trump Organization says a ban would alienate many of the millions of United States citizens who wholeheartedly support Mr. Trump and have made him the frontrunner by far in the 2016 presidential election. Further, the Trump Organization warned that were the U.K. to take any action against its namesake, it would force the Trump Organization to immediately end any current and future investments we are currently contemplating in the United Kingdom. Hmm, that's hardball. So you block us, we're going to pull all of our real estate. Well, good for the UK. Standing <laughs> up on their principles right and, there. And it's kind of one of those things like the White House has a whitehouse.gov where you can sign petitions. If you get enough people, then they have to comment. Yeah. And so that's kind of the same situation that reached a certain threshold. Now the House of Commons... And the United Kingdom has to address this issue. Interesting. It's getting crazy. Uh, Wheaton College in the western suburbs of Chicago began the process of firing Lacrea uh, La Hawkins on Tuesday. For her, uh, she's a teacher there. Okay. For her claim, don't don't get on me on names. <laughs> I'm not. I'm I can't just read things. Who? On Tuesday, for her claim that Christians and Muslims worship the same God. In December, the political science professor wore a, a hijab to show solidarity with her Muslim neighbors, leading to recommendations that she resign. She wrote, I stand in religious solidarity with Muslims because they, like me, a Christian, are people of the book, she posted on Facebook at the time. And as Pope Francis stated last week, we worship the same God. This week, Provost Stanton Jones informed her that her termination from the school had begun. 
Wow, really? Yeah. What's happening here? I don't know. Stuff like that, you're just... Uh, I don't know. Come on. Seems interesting. Um, And and, and more frivolous news, New York City is giving its pay phones the 21st century upgrade by turning them into high-speed Wi-Fi hotspots. Hmm. The free service will offer broadband speeds of 1,000 megabits a second, which is about 100 times faster than the typical speed provided by most wireless carriers. MarketWatch reports after connecting for the first time, a client's device will be able to connect automatically to the hotspots throughout the city. The service is being brought to New York via a $200 million investment from a collaboration of several major tech companies. New York begins rolling out hotspots this month with plans to install 500 of these hotspots by July. Well, no one's using pay phones? Right, no. So start putting the Wi-Fi in there. But it yeah. seems like you're going to have thousands of people now gathering around these spots. <laughs> well, hopefully they're spaced out enough that you'll have a network and you'll be able to move freely. And Interesting. That's cool because now on this, I mean, you could maybe even take a cell phone call through your Wi-Fi mm-hmm. just in downtown Instead New York. Instead of using or your – trying because New York is apparently horrible when it comes to your cell phone signal – Obviously, because of the thousands of cement buildings right, around right. blocking the signal, your Wi-Fi would over Wi-Fi you'd be able to make phone calls, and that would probably fix that problem. For Plus, people. you can go like download movies. That too. <laughs> Apparently, it's a thousand. <laughs> this yeah, it's is a, excellent. Well, that's a cool service. I was wondering what they were going to do with all those booths. Hey, uh, we'll take a break, folks. When we come back, Dr. Stephen Stosny will be joining us, talking about his article from Psychology Today about how to motivate your partner. You know, to do what you want instead of fighting him, instead of coercing him and giving him the silent treatment, all the negative ways that we try to influence our partner. What if we could find a healthier, more positive way? Dr. Stosny will be teaching us how to do that. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Everybody to the Matt Townsend show. We can work it out. We don't have to fight. But many times in our marriages, we are all uh, you know. We want to be influenced, or we want to influence our partner. We want you know, sometimes we want we just want our idea to prevail, right? We want to let's just can we just do it this way? Can we can we eat here tonight instead of there? Anyway, uh, whether it's, you know, arguing over home repairs or where we spend our money or what television show to watch, sometimes voicing opposing views with your partner creates a lot of contention, leads to a lot of arguments. So how do we try to influence our partners to, to do what we want to do, but how do we do it in a healthier way? Not manipulate, not try to coerce them, not ignore them. Well, who better to teach us than uh, Dr. Stephen Stosny, one of, uh, I I truly believe, America's great experts in the study of human relations and compassion. And uh, he's he's a a great author and um, writer on psychologytoday.com. Dr. Stosny uh, believes that when people feel valued, they tend to cooperate more. And he joins us today to help us uh, work through some methods of truly learning to negotiate with our partner instead of coercing and manipulating. Dr. Stephen Stosny, welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Oh, 
Well, thank you. Pleasure. Great, great to have you on the show. I love I love your work, and uh, I'm familiar with a lot of it. I, and I, I think I think you're on to something here, don't you? Because we're we're going to try to influence our partner one way or the other. It's just some of the ways we try it; they're not very healthy. Uh, ab- absolutely. You know, I began my career with highly distressed couples. Uh, and finally worked my way back to trying to prevent that from happening. What causes relationships to be destroyed is resentment, and resentment begins to accumulate in the way that we make behavior requests. Uh, And it's not so much the language, you know, how do I say it? It's the assumptions. Mm. Uh, You have to assume that your rights, privileges, tastes, preferences are equal to your partners, but not superior, not inferior. And if you assume that they're equal, the way that you negotiate is more respectful and you're appreciative of the cooperation you get. If you assume that your rights are superior or that you're entitled, then you're going to get resistance because you're going to devalue, manipulate, uh, coerce, or or, uh, or, or threaten in some way. Uh, and that builds resentment. And, and yeah, nobody wants to feel like your ideas are always diminished. So it just seems like inevitably that's going to create pull. But it's kind of like when you push on somebody or even when you start to, you know, uh, like lean on somebody, they're going to naturally lean back and start pushing back on you. Um, so you're trying to teach us there. there's other ways to get people to move and have movement than, than more of the, some of the more manipulative ways. Yes, uh, and, and to sum it up easily, it's value and respect. Mm. Your, your ideas are as important as mine. Here's why I would like to do it this way. Is that, does that work for you, or can we find a way that works for both of us? That's the goal of negotiation, that nobody feels taken advantage of, put upon, or distressed about it, it's the best for both of us. Now, that might not be the optimal choice for one of us, mm-hmm. but it's the best for both of us. And, and I mean, I guess the idea, too, I, it would seem like if if my partner's willing to give for me on this one issue of where we eat for dinner, then I could just as easily give on another issue. And and we yeah, and then we can just keep doing that. You're more likely to. Mm-hmm. You're more likely. Well, just don't forget about the research. Just look at your own experience. If someone is valuing and respectful to you, uh, there's a law of emotional reciprocity. You are likely to return it. And if someone's demanding to you, you're likely to resist. Hmm. Do you? What is it? Do you think, Doctor Stasny, that that drives us to turn? even the simplest things into a competition or, you know, kind of a battle, a war? Well, uh, there's a lot of factors. One is I think we live in a culture of entitlement where uh, uh, our views, our feelings, our ideas are superior to other people's. You know, and you get a lot of reinforcement on that in, in politics. Uh, right. And, and uh, that's, that's a real polarization that pundits talk about it's it's i uh, it's virtually a toddler standoff one person <laughs> says mine or my way and the other says no this is the favorite two words of the toddler it's so true it's so true and then we but we feel we feel that entitlement and then we argue our position as if it's factual 
Like, yeah, and, and then right, that gets as, aggressive. As if, it, as if it's from the voice of God. That's right, exactly. Uh, and instead of just seeing it as a preference. Uh, and what you want, though, is not submission. See, when uh, those other ways of, of negotiating, coercion, manipulation, and all of those, they require submission. Somebody has to give in. But you don't want that in an intimate relationship because submission always breeds resentment. What you want is cooperation that's willing to do something for the good of, of you or for our relationship. Hmm. It actually works better if it's for the good of our relationship. Well, and it seems like that might actually spark more creativity. So it's not Absolutely. my way or your way. Let's find a new way. Absolutely. Uh, an example of something you do for your relationship rather than your partner is, uh, I don't like ballet, but my relationship likes ballet. Oh, interesting, yeah. <laughs> and when I go to the ballet, my relationship is really improved, and the relationship nurtures me. Now, if I did that for my wife, you know, I'd resent it. You know, I, why do I have to be here uh, for this three hours of people hmm. leaping around on the stage? But if I see it as, uh, we're both in a good mood. We go have a nice dinner. We get dressed up, go to the Kennedy Center in Washington, have a nice time after. Then I'm getting a lot more out of it because the relationship nurtures me. So I have to nurture the relationship. That's such an interesting idea because it also it, it kind of, I guess, um, puts the fact that the relationship is it's a third entity. It in, absolutely is. In, in, instead of me getting what I need. I've got to decide if I want a relationship. Yeah, it's not. Uh, I think one of the, the, the terrible things about the culture of toddlerhood is uh, getting my needs met. Uh, you have to think more in terms of getting the relationship's needs met. Uh, and that's going to be good for both individuals. It's like a, a fruit orchard. If you nurture it, it'll feed you. Hmm. I I just saw this in a class I was teaching last night to couples where – I was trying to teach an idea very similar to this that, you know, you have to honor you have to honor the relationship if you want the relationship to grow. But but then what people immediately answer is like, well, so I'm supposed to just keep giving even though I'm not liking this certain part. And I thought to myself, wow, that's not I mean, don't you don't have to submit, but. Yeah, if you want a relationship to work, it's different than just being alone and and getting everything you want. Well, if the relationship is viable, there's going to be emotional reciprocity. Yeah. Uh, When people say, I give, 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 and don't get anything in in return, usually they're giving with strings attached. Not always, but that's usually the case. In other words, I'm not doing this for you out of love or kindness. I'm doing it because I expect you to give me something in return. Uh, you know, it's like my Italian relatives making <laughs> an offer you can't refuse. <laughs> That's right. You, <laughs> That's you really can't refuse it. With a baseball bat on the table. That's right. <laughs> That's not <laughs> negotiation. That's coercion. Mm. Uh, when people are generally compassionate and kind, if they have an emotional bond with each other, it's very difficult to be self-centered and self uh, uh, self-obsessed. It's possible, but it's difficult. But you know, the real measure isn't what you... Uh, the measure of your well-being is really you doing what you believe in your heart is right. right. Even if your partner is in a place where he or she can't respond positively to it. 
uh, in the long run, that prevents regret. You feel much better about yourself because you're doing the right thing. The way I like to put that is you never want to be the partner you think your partner deserves. Uh-huh. <laughs> you want to be the partner you most want to be. It's because it, then you're you're. It seems like then you're aligned to your belief system. A- absolutely. And then then that to me that's where the peace comes from, right? Right. And, and a lot. Whenever you violate your own deeper values, you automatically experience guilt, shame, or anxiety. Hmm. Now it's hard to see those in relationships because they usually get expressed as resentment and anger. But under the resentment and anger is that guilt, shame, and anxiety for doing what you believe isn't right. And then you take that guilt, shame, and anxiety and a lot of times redirect it to them and make it about your partner, right? Wow. (laughs) Almost always. Most of the resentment in relationships is because in reaction to you, I become someone I don't really like. Mm -hmm. And I'm disgusted by it. But then I say that's you. Yeah, exactly. Wow. And, And that's the cycle, huh? And so... Um, we can make it about, I guess, we can fight about whatever, but in the end, maybe the first thing we should do is go inward and find out, well, what do I want to be like? What are my values? Yeah, what kind of person and what kind of partner, what kind of parent do I most want to be deep in my heart? Uh, and those are, we call those core values. That's You've got to be true to those because your strongest emotions are guardians of them. Whenever you violate them, you're going to feel guilt, shame, and the guilt and shame produces anxiety, resentment, and anger. You've done um, you've done some great work, if I recall, with um, abusers. Yes, that's how I started working with abusers, and and they have loads of resentment. Yeah, uh, they believe well, they have entitlement too. See, resentment and entitlement go together because if you're entitled to something, you know, special consideration or your rights are superior. Once you're over five and not cute anymore, <laughs> the world's not going to meet your entitlement needs. So that's going to make you resentful. That's so true. <laughs> and the more resentful you get, the less cooperation you're going to get because resentful people aren't that pleasant to be around. Yeah. But you can turn it. You, you have success in, you call it compassion um, theory, or but you, you have success in because the person has to go inward and look at their own issues. And their own patterns and their own projections. Yeah, and and what turns people around is when they really realize that you like yourself much better when you're compassionate to someone you love than when you're resentful toward them. Whether or not they deserve the resentment is not the real issue. You don't like yourself being resentful. Hmm. And that tells you something. Your emotions are trying to tell you that this might be justified, but it's not good for you. That's it. And, but then but then you, it almost seems like you go from kind of the moral desire to be compassionate to your logic, which is, well, that's not fair. And but it doesn't matter if it's fair or not. You've got to go by your morality. That's right, because and that's survival base. It goes back to when we had to stay in very tight social units to survive. So when you do something to jeopardize that, like devalue someone you love, you're going to feel that guilt, shame, and anxiety. But those are not punishments. They're really motivations to connect. Whenever you feel guilty, for any reason at all, you know, you might see an attractive actress on TV when you're sitting next to your wife, mm-hmm. and you're going to have, you know, you're a human, you're going to have a little bit of attraction, and you'll feel a little bit of guilt about that. All you have to do is reach out and touch your hand, and the guilt immediately goes away. 
But if you start thinking that, you know, this actress would laugh at my jokes more than my wife does, (laughs) then it gets worse. It's, yeah, because yeah, you're feeding the wrong narrative, I guess. You're feeding right. the wrong story. The, the guilt's a distance regulator. It's telling you to get closer. If you go farther apart and resentment drives you farther apart, it gets worse. If you get closer, it gets better. Oh, man, Stephen. I, I, this is why I love your stuff because it's almost counterintuitive to what society you know, justifies. Like even the political process, you're seeing just so much justification – even against morality, and you sit there and you think, holy cow, if we just keep telling this story, we're going to set ourselves up for bigger pain, more guilt. Absolutely, because it's you're, you're, the motivation of guilt in a love relationship is to get closer. Uh, but we, you're, you're right. We, uh, on a national level, we feel guilty if we do something inhumane, so we have to justify it. Just the fact that you have to justify an emotion is telling you that it's not good for you. Mm. You never have to justify compassion. No, it's always right. Right. You don't have to go into work and say, you know, I don't know what came over me last night. My wife pushed my buttons and I took her perspective Mm -hmm. and sympathized with her. It wasn't the real me. Maybe, Stephen, and help me with this, because probably a lot of people feel like, but if I'm compassionate, I'm just going to get rolled. I'm just going to get taken advantage of. But it, I can be compassionate and be done. Assertive. Exactly. We call, it, we call it compassionate assertiveness. Assertiveness. See, see the, the difference with just being aggressive or just getting my needs met and compassionate assertiveness is that you recognize that your rights, privileges, and preference are equal to, not inferior to, and not superior to your partner. Huh. They're equal. Uh, and then you stand up for the equality rather than my superior rights. Huh. And you can, yeah, I don't have to tear your ideas down, which turns us into, I guess, you know, you know, manipulative, coercive techniques. Instead, oh, well, I can just uh, yeah, evaluate at, at it. Yeah, at best, it turns you into adversaries where mm-hmm. you have to try to argue a case, and that never works in a marriage because you don't have a judge and jury living with you or <laughs> <So> <laughs> to decide the case on equity and, and uh, precedent. Uh, you know, another book of yours I love is um, about how to improve your marriage without talking about it. Just Just address the fact that Sometimes not talking about it might be, and I'm not, I'm not even avoiding it. I'm, I'm not even trying to avoid it, but the talking about it itself makes stuff more real. Well, well it, actually, it makes them more distorted. Yeah. Because uh, what we've learned in neurology in the past decade is that focus amplifies and magnifies. Whatever you focus on becomes more important than what you're not focused on. And that's a problem in negotiation because everything you're going to negotiate about seems to be more important than it really is just because of the focus. So uh, what what we try to do is you never start to negotiate with your partner without uh, just in your head running through all the good things he or she brings to your relationship, what you love about them. Uh, I call it the palette of your relationship. It's like an artist's palette with a lot of different colors. Some of those colors you love, some of them are okay, some of them you don't like. Right, right. But you bring, you bring the whole palette to the, the negotiation, not just the ones you don't like. And so that, that's like an exercise then that we could do before we go try to influence or have a conversation is make sure we bring the full palette in. 
and, and go intentionally create compassion prior yeah. to the conversation. And that brings the, that uh, obviates that artificial uh, distortion of focus that brings the problem down to its proper proportion. You know, one of the sad things about marital conflict is that most of what people fight about, they can't remember. (laughs) (laughs) So true. Because they're not fighting about, you know, what they tell researchers, money, sex, jealousy, raising the kids, and loss and division of labor. They're really, those things cause disconnection. What they're fighting about is the pain of the disconnection. Mm. Uh, And the more they introduce facts without trying to connect... Uh, the the worse it's going to get. Yeah, and it, it, yeah, it has to, right? I mean, that's you're yeah. not you're in the smoke. I call it. Yes, it's not about the facts. It's about the belief that you don't care about how I feel. <laughs> and the trap that that couples get into is, I resent you for not caring about how I feel. But while I'm resentful, I don't care about how you feel. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> So you're saying you absolutely, I don't care about how you feel, but you absolutely must care about how I feel. Yeah, it's so hypocritical. And yet we don't see the hypocrisy, do we? We, it's, we just, because we're so in it. No, no, it just seems so right. Because, and the problem with that is if you just recognize the guilt and shame, those are vulnerable emotions and, and compassion and kindness will immediately alleviate them. But we regulate them the way toddlers do with resentment and anger. And resentment and anger require an attribution of blame. You can't have anger without blame. Formula for anger is any vulnerable emotion, even physical pain, plus blame equals anger. Mm. Take away blame, and it's those other emotions. Man, Stephen, we need more time with you. (laughs) This is good stuff. Um, Well, we appreciate your insight. Uh, Give us the one thing. What's one thing we can do, all of us in our relationships today, to to maybe mend the fence, to um, to bridge that gap with our loved one today? Well, I, th- this is an easy thing to do because, uh, you know, research shows that, that people don't fight about words. They, they fight about emotional demeanor because our brains make a judgment about what the other person is going to say before the part of it that interprets the meaning of the words is activated. So it's an emotional response. So you want to have a positive emotional demeanor and the way to do that is is to get some image of your spouse uh where that you appreciate he or she did something that that you really appreciate and before you talk about something emotional keep that in your mind you don't have to mention it Hmm. just hold it in your mind that you know, for me, my wife took me to the hospital with a uh, kidney stone. Oh. She stayed with me. She was in the middle of the night falling asleep, and it made it so much better. She was with me. So I think of that. think of her nodding to keep, <laughs> keep awake. Yeah. And it fills me with appreciation. I don't have to say anything because my demeanor around her is a lot more open, accepting, caring, nurturing. Mm. And, and it, it is. It's that simple. It's, it's having that thought. Right. And then that, that'll change the demeanor. Like that. Yeah. Oh, man. Good stuff. Dr. Stephen Stosny, thank you again for your time. And uh, everybody, go, go look up his books. There, there really are, there are so many of them, Love Without Hurt um, and The Powerful Self. Just, just find him on Amazon. You can also go look him up on um, Psychology Today. He truly is, 
He's he's important. He's essential uh, in this world of human development and relationships. He's 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 the guy bringing compassion back into our relationships. So we appreciate him. We'll take a break, my friends. Come back, visit our good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. We'll be right back. To the Matt Townsend Show. <laughs> We're going to toss it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Spencer and Jerem. Hello, gentlemen. What's up? What's, What's going on, Matthew? Hey, um, you know, just hanging out. Just doing a show. Not a big deal. By the way, does it bother you that I call you Matthew? No, I love it. Tenacious might, D. That's who Would you tell right? me? Would you be honest with me? No, I totally really would. did bother you. I mean, there's other things I'd rather you call me. Like? Uh, stud muffin. <laughs> That's never going to happen. <laughs> I know. So let's just go with Matthew then. Okay. No, I love okay. it. Um, do you mind if I call you Bane? You can call me Bane. You can call me Bane. Yeah, Matthew, yeah. <laughs> so you, you were going to do for us a little Bane what, meets what, farmers yeah, only. What, what's Bane's favorite uh, dating website? You don't have to be lonely at FarmersOnly.com. <laughs> that is great. You really don't if you're a farmer. You don't have to be lonely. <laughs> How does one define farmer? How do you check if someone's a farmer? How do you validate that? Um, you don't want to know. Okay, uh, we, we checked. You're a farmer. You're good. <laughs> well, is Bain a farmer? I didn't I know he was a farmer. features many wonderful pictures. <laughs> Of my tomatoes and onions. <laughs> oh, that is so great. You got to be careful on farmers only because you might get Bane. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Mom, I thought he was the greatest guy, and then I found out he's a villain. You don't want to go on a date with me? <laughs> now you can die. <laughs> you sound like you're talking in Tupperware, honey. Yeah. <laughs> Get closer to the phone. Cute, but I can't see beyond the mask. What a great villain, man. Well, oh. you know, what a great combination. I mean, I think the key to the whole bit right there is Bane and Farmers Only. Like, why didn't yes. you choose some other organization? Why oh, Farmers how we, Only? How did we come to that conversation yesterday? We were, we <laughs> were, knows, we were laughing about the jingle on FarmersOnly.com, <laughs> and then... Sometimes we talk about Bane and the Dark Knight and, like, what a great movie it is. And I just was like, man, what if you combine the two? Bada boom, bada bing. And then it happened. And, and then it happened. And then comedy utopia. <laughs> <laughs> and you nailed it. Hey, um, speaking of movies, did you hear Star Wars Force Awakens is the number one film of all time? It passed Avatar. And it's exactly what we expected would happen. Exactly. Oh, yeah. It's so good. It's, it's so, so good. good. It's yes. so good. It's like Bane and Farmers Only. <laughs> it's that good. Well, it's not quite that comedic, but <laughs> dope combo. It is a sweet combination. Um, yeah, I I went and saw it, and I'm not a big Star Wars guy. I mean, I'm not real geeky. <laughs> Some would argue. But I, I loved it. It was really great. You can tell that they've kind of brought the franchise back. Man, it just my, – my mom told me – it brought back so many fabulous memories for mm-hmm. me, you know, and I just like it, it hit a chord with everybody. 
No, I agree. It struck that, it struck that nostalgia chord yeah. with those that uh, remember the original Star Wars. And then for the the generation that the millennials or whatever you want to call them. Right. It just. Us? Yeah. It's <laughs> with, the, group, with the new age well, technology and whatnot. It was like it was just Star Wars awesomeness. Star Wars topia. Yes. That <laughs> no, was great. I've seen it three times. Was that the goat? I heard the goat come up for a no, second. No, the goat. No. Oh, no. BYU is going to win the national championship. Oh! <laughs> that is the. That's the goat. goat. There's a there's a character in SpongeBob that kind of talks like that. Some people have asked where what's the origin of the blue goggles voice. It's uninfluenced by anything out there. <laughs> oh yeah, I don't know where it came from, but it does sound similar to some things you've heard before, doesn't it? Yeah, it, I, it's one and, and it, only man. Well, again, that's what you get when you go to watch or listen to BYU Sports Nation. It's all original. It's original. There, there is. It's it's seventy unfiltered original. Seventy eight percent original. <laughs> it's that other 22%. Is that what it is? Um, hey, here's the no, deal. Ver- 32%. Hey, here's the deal. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw this because I, you're not, you're so busy, but, and you're not into all sports, but Ty Detmer had a press conference yesterday. Mm-hmm. Wait, what I happened? mean, all the coaches did, I guess, but mm-hmm. something, uh, and did we learn anything new? Well, we learned that BYU is making a full-on second recruiting pitch for Taysom Hill to come back that and was interesting. compete with Tanner Mangum in yeah. the starting position. Ty will be on the show today. That's right. Yeah, he'll be you in get, the studio. Does, does he know that? Does he know that he's going to be in the studio? We are under the understanding. It's the reason he came back to BYU, man. No, that's yeah. totally true. This show. Ask him to do, <laughs> ask him to do the Bain Farmers Only uh, We're going to save that for our second or third interview for him. <laughs> yeah. We're not going to let him. You want to ride on my new tractor? <laughs> we're not going to play that card. All today. aboard. <laughs> um, he's... We're, all, we're all the country girls. <laughs> my John Deere is equipped with lasers. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, he's a Texas boy. He, he would go he to is. farmers only. He is, man. He He's making a big sacrifice. His family's staying down there for, you know, six months or whatever. He's and He addressed that. Well, uh, I'm just excited to be back here at BYU, and uh, we're going to run a full pro-style offense. Jeremy's and, uh, pretty good at that, huh? He totally and, uh, is. If you're a tight end, we're looking for you to play ball here at BYU. That's good. That is <laughs> good. You won the Heisman, Matt? Uh, yeah. I won it. Uh, 25 years ago. Did you know they're going to add a T to White Mountain? It's going to say tie. <laughs> Do that for him, Jerem. No, I'm not. No, no, no. That is... Again, um, we can't we no. can't reveal our true colors to him in the first interview. Yeah, no, he's no. got to think we're cool at first. Right. I, I, you know what I would do? We've I'd let it out slowly. Now. Are you kidding me? With Ty? Yeah. Not quite. No. I'd let it out slow, guys. Yeah. Just nice yeah. and easy. Hey, um, it's also interesting. They, they they don't they only have five coaches so far. Right now, four. Oh, is it four? Mm-hmm. That that unless you know something we don't. Yeah. Matt. Yeah. What do you oh. know? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. It's only four. Okay. It's only four. Probably but, going to become ten, but they have other guys to hire too. Isn't there a Being hurry? Coordinator. Yeah, I mean that you've got to get all of the recruiters coach right? officially. There's rumors of you know a guy, but 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 aren't people getting picked up? So it seems like you got to hurry. Assistants are available. Okay, and and assistants can be picked from it, the head coach. You want to get in place. You want to get your coordinators in place, and then the others trickle in. Ed Lamb. So BYU has Kalani Sataki as head coach. They brought in Ty Detmer as the offensive quarter coordinator, Elisa Tuiaki as the defensive coordinator. Then you have Ed Lamb, who's the assistant head coach and will coach tight ends and special teams. Um, and then you're looking for the other six. What does the assistant head coach do? Um, 
is essentially uh, coaches the tight ends right now at BYU. Well, so it just in- helps Kalani. <laughs> so Kalani's never been a head coach. Ed Lamb has. He was at Southern Utah, former BYU player. Yeah. Um, He's like the he'll, first he'll runner up. With the logistics of being the head coach. Okay. It's it, not just calling timeouts and deciding when you go for it on fourth down. You right. Know what I mean? Maybe he'll also do, you know, maybe manage more of the recruiting. I don't know. Yeah, and they'll get a recruiting coordinator for that very purpose. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. And, and to help them hire. You know what I mean? They, yeah. they have to do this together. Make are, are you guys are you still going to do your show now that we've covered it all? Well, if we want to talk to Ty Detmer live, then yeah. <laughs> yep, we're going to do it. Well, well, so Ty's on the show. And, I, you know, just as a, as a radio professional, I, I'd, I'd give him a lot of time. He's Ty. We have carved out a nice chunk of time. Yeah. He's Ty Detmer, man. For he Ty have, Detmer. He can have the whole show if he wants. Whatever. For sure. So after Ty, anything else going on? Elisa Tuiaki, the defensive coordinator, wow. will also join us in Studio B. And we're asking everyone what they learned. What was their biggest takeaway from the media availability for the three assistant coaches yesterday? Cool. What would their headline be? Uh, tight end. We're going to use tight ends more. <laughs> that has come up more than a few times this morning <laughs> sure. on the Twitter machine. Oh, you guys. Well, again, you're knocking it out of the park. You're teaching us new ways to laugh at funny things. It's incredible. <laughs> We love you, and have a great show today. Thank you, Matthew. (laughs) Uh, Mr. Detmer, do you want to say anything? Uh, Did you know I won the Heisman, Matt? (laughs) There you go. Thank you, Ty. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Have a great show. Knock them dead. Goodbye. Uh, (laughs) That's just funny. I mean, it's great radio because all you hear is Bane and then me squeaking laughing. They're just funny. I don't care. I don't care. Uh, I, we didn't even talk about the stash. I don't know if he's still got the stash. Anyway, hey, um, you know, as we wrap this up, let me give you, let me give you one more uh, crazy just story. If you, if you receive something on Christmas that you don't want to keep, maybe some socks, an ugly tie, there's a, really, there's a really, you know, the sweater Grandma had knitted for you all year. And what you can now do is... You don't have to keep it, and you don't have to re-gift it. Skittles has a sweet solution. So instead of re-gifting the crappy holiday present that you got, now you can pawn them off in exchange for their value in Skittles. The Skittles Holiday Pawn Shop is a fully functioning brick-and-mortar storefront in Toronto. If you can't make it, you can also, uh, you know... You can find out how many Skittles you can get for unwanted gifts on Skittles Pawn Shop website. So go look it up, and you might be able to trade in that really ugly sweater for, I don't know, a pound of Skittles. You know, little tastes of heaven. It's like a rainbow. So don't, you're not stuck, folks. You're not stuck with a gift. Pawn it on, on the Skittles Pawn Shop. Look it up. Hey, uh, we always like to end the show with a hero of the day, and our hero today is Dan Reardon, CEO and former emergency doctor in the UK. Listen to this crazy story. Dan Reardon and uh, Dina Zaki were about halfway into their hike to Escondido Falls when they ran into a group of people, including an apparently injured man. Reardon had experience with emergency situations as a doctor, right, and asked the group if they needed any help getting down the trail. The injured man, Mark Martinez, had rolled down a hill when when hiking down the trail, and he ended up breaking his fibula and his ankle. 
The group said they were fine, but it was starting to get dark. Reardon knew it would take a while to get back, so he offered to carry the injured man. While uh, Zaki ran back to the main road to call for help, Reardon started carrying Martinez on his back down the trail. And by the time the emergency responders arrived, Reardon had already carried Martinez all the way down the trail about 2.3 miles. Martinez's wife, Lucero, says Reardon was like an angel sent from God. It was just amazing. I'm so grateful. There are no words to explain how I feel towards this guy. It was amazing what he did. So, Dan Reardon and uh, uh, Dina Zaki, we appreciate you. And you are the heroes of the day on the Matt Townsend Show. It's it's pretty simple, isn't it? That's it. When somebody needs a lift and you feel the need or the prompting, step up and give the person the lift. And as we learned earlier from Dr. Stosny, when we do what our values and our principles and our morals are telling us to do, guess what? We feel peace. When we don't follow the values and our morals, we feel guilty. And when we feel guilty, it usually is eventually going to lead to anger. And the anger is going to lead to anger at other people in life. So being a hero sometimes is just saving yourself, the anger and the pain. And we that's why we like to highlight the heroes in the world. You don't need to be strong to be a hero. You just need to be willing and uh, and to give your time, your attention, whatever you can. That's the show, folks. Again, we can't do it without you. We're here to help you see the good in the world. It's sometimes hard to see through all the other stuff, but this is uh, this is all we can give you. We'll be back tomorrow. More ideas, more tools right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Until then, watch out for each other, take care of each other, and uh, give the lift when somebody needs it. We'll talk again tomorrow.